Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast, a subsidiary of Doof Media Productions Incorporated. And Brian, I wanted to say that I've I've worked hard and come a long way to be able to say this, but I think you're a person who matters. Or is that too awkward to say? Awkward? I'm not really ready to commit to, to that. Wait, that I'm a person that matters? You're a person I'm matters? What? Well, um, yeah... So I'm terrible at this. <laughs> That's okay. That I, was our. I can't, I can't. I can't commit to that kind of statement. It, or, it felt weird puppies. trying. I don't know how they do it every week. That was our attempt so to blatantly rip off the hilarious opening joke that Matt and Scott always do at the opening of all of their Ward episodes, which reminds me that Ward is wrapping up. I mean, almost definitely. I think the current chapter right now is uh, like last or something is the name of the arc. So it sounds like it's wrapping up. Plot feels like it's wrapping up. If it goes on for another two months, I'd be pretty surprised. Oh, so. awkward. I get it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a pun is to laugh. Yeah, it it, <laughs> it wasn't my best work. Work. Um, I had to point out, too, that uh, there's that. I, I mentioned Game Club, the other podcast that Doof is starting by. Uh, Elliot and Ruben are doing this one. The guys who did Deep Impact. And uh, they chose their first. Well, they like did a whatever community poll for the last one. And they're doing Hollow Knight. I'm not sure when they're going to start, but that'll be fun. So, are they going to have? Uh, are they going to record the actual play as well? I don't know. Actually, um, they do do I some streaming. I've been doing that in streaming. the background since I'm home 100 of the time now. Uh, they do have some stuff on Twitch. Uh, if you guys check out uh, Twitch.com/doofmedia, I watched Matt play. What's that? Um, that new Half Life game for VR. Uh, Alex, uh, I think yeah, so. Almost. A L Y X, I think. Um, that's right. And then I watched Scott play. Uh, I don't know that one. Oh, great. <laughs> that's staying in forever. You're, you're talking about me. Um, then uh, I watched Scott play Resident Evil Three. So it's it's a good time. I don't spend a lot of time on nice. Twitch, but it's it's uh, you know when you see people that you recognize, I think it makes it more fun. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I can't think of a good uh, good segue. So you want to just jump right into Chapter Forty Seven? Uh, let us speak of the Harry Potters. Yes, let us speak. Yes, chapter. I like I, I liked a couple of things. Like we're I, I, people talk about this a lot. I hear about like oh, there's this arc and that arc, and at least for me, first time through, things don't too much feel like they're you know explicitly broken up into. Especially like you guys talk about book one, book two. Like they definitely don't feel like they're they're broken up into books. But this one, like this switch over from the whole Patronus thing into this. Um, now this sort of change into um, dealing with Draco definitely did feel like, okay, oh, we're starting like a new bit of the story here. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I definitely didn't know about the book, uh, like chopping or se- like uh, sections mm-hmm. until well after I'd finished the story. And I, that was definitely like an ad hoc thing. That was not, uh, at least I am 95% sure that that wasn't like an author intended thing. Yeah, they just figured, hey, it's long enough. There's distinct themes between these different yeah. parts. Um Later on, it gets a bit more like arky in the sense that, you know, like I think humanism was four chapters long. There are some that are a few long, few chapters longer than that. So like mm-hmm. those definitely feel like their own slices. Um, this one yeah. definitely feels like a great cap to that humanism uh, vibe from that whole section, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this. Um, well, yeah. No, this like this feels like it moves from like this is a whole new thing. So I, like it doesn't. This doesn't feel like it's ending that. This is feeling like okay, now that we're here, now let's. Now, where does that go? 
Oh, so this isn't the finale to the last season. This is the first episode of the next season. I guess, or it's the cliffhanger in between. I'm not sure how to classify it, but... No, I can dig it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, I guess it's the finale that really ought to have been the first episode thing. But yes, it would be a good lead-in, but... It's that yeah. one that they like don't do a season for a year and they just release one episode on Christmas <laughs> yeah. and it's just that one. That could be it. Perfect. Um, I uh, what was I going to say? Oh, but this is another. This is another one of those where I would say like this is low on plot and high on content, where there isn't a lot to like, you know, bullet point of this happened, this happened, this happened, not a lot in this chapter. Um, but it's really, I actually really like this chapter, but. Um, but yeah, yeah plot-wise, it's like plot three wise, things. Yeah, what is it? It's, it's uh, one sentence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Harry gets Draco, gets Draco to learn the Patronus charm. He does, and it's important. Like, it's that's important. that's the plot. But it's it's all the, the moments yeah. and all of the developments between, uh, especially, like, Draco's relationship with Harry that make this, t- I think, for me, stand out a lot as a really good chapter. Yeah, I really liked, um, I liked how much of Draco we got to see. He's like, you know, 10 times more depth to this Draco than in the original. Um, in a way that's sort of like complicated, like appealing in a complicated way. Cause it's not like he's stopped being a racist. Um, but yeah, really, I mean, we'll get into that, but yeah, like quite a bit. Cool. Yeah. Well, we can dive right in. We should talk uh, about it. Yeah. After you, you doing anything? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got, I got a few minutes. All right. So how did I liked it? Uh, reminded me again because, like, I find it kind of. I guess, guess it's, it's supposed to be campy, but the, their whole like Beijing conspiracy cloaks and blah blah blah. I find like campy and dorky um, in a funny way. But the, so that's what it reminded me of. That it's so it's Draco sitting in their what their quote unused room, um, and he again reminded me of being Sith Kermit. Like just cause there's like something about that like hood. Idea. Yeah. It's really like how goofy, like a like a junior high school kid with his like cloak, trying to look all like foreboding. And no, I love it. And I I mentioned on uh, the last episode that if someone wants to send in a recording as uh, Sith Kermit, I'd play it. We didn't get any, so I'm not. But someone's like, "What? You've never listened to Jordan Peterson talk?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, he sounds exactly like Kermit, but he doesn't sound like him trying to do a Sith voice." <laughs> uh, yeah, I could I could even do it. Yeah, I, I, I could try. I could do Kermit. I could. I don't. I don't know how to make Kermit sinister. I think the only way to do it is to talk to be like this, Kermit all the time. I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> Not sure. That sounded a little bit like creature, actually. That was a valiant effort. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So he's so Sith Kermit Malfoy is brooding. Um, in the room, and he's like, how does it start? I mean, it's mostly that he's like. So there, there's a, several minutes of him brooding before Harry shows up, but he's sitting there waiting for Harry, and it's not their, um, it's not their usual meeting time. Although I couldn't really see much significance to what, what that was about, but I think it was just um, Harry rushing it, yeah, because yeah, it said so. Harry wanted to meet a day early. Yeah, um, and so yeah, and so uh, Draco starts out with this uh, sort of like a parable from his father. Of basically, you know, when you when you can see that you've been like getting sucked into a plan and it's kind of all like collapsing in on you, you suddenly realize what's been going on, and so he's sort of realizing um, that what I think it's because because what is it that he had just heard about uh, in capital letters the kiss, um, the proper noun the kiss <laughs> um, of Hermione kissing Harry, and he's like, wait a minute, what the fuck is up with this? 
And so this is like where it's dawning on him that um, he has been manipulated into that. I, I think what, what was it about that? It was that 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 made it very clear that it wasn't that the relationship between Harry and Hermione wasn't as like superficial as Harry was trying to play it off. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that like part of the, part of what Harry or Draco's ruminating on was that like there's this, he, he's, his father told him there's two like, you know, father Malfoy parables here, which was um, the, the first one that it's, it's possible at, at like when you're the subject of a plot and like things are, are, coming in to a close around you that because you don't want to admit that you were tricked, you'll just deny the plot and let, and the game may continue. And then he remembers how it never explains how it's just some noodle incident, but he apparently was swindled a lot of a bunch of cookies when he was a kid. I don't I thought that was odd. Like it was, it felt like we, like we were going to have that explained to us more and we never did. So maybe eh, it's another one of those well, like references to the original that I didn't get, but. It's I I think there's a trope for it called noodle incident. I think it's just one of those things that's like referenced but never explained. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if this has any significance other than the fact that somehow he was swindled out of his jar of cookies, which I think is just like an adorably traumatic lesson for a young (laughs) child. (laughs) And then, yeah, the significant part was that um, because because Harry had said, I told you no kissing, not no kissing, which implies that not implies, but but necessitates that he had told her that before. Yeah. Yeah, So that was where he was freaking out. Um, And then he's, he's wondering, uh, all right. So then this is the other one that I liked a lot too. And he pulled this quote out about how, um, how to fathom a strange plot. Oh yeah. It was a, what father had told Draco that to fathom a strange plot. One technique was to look at what ended up happening. Assume it was the intended result and ask who benefited. Um, So I got, I'd like, I had, of course had to Google it, but they, it was, and I thought it was Italian because it sounds like a very mob thing, but uh, it's apparently Latin. Qui bono? Who benefits? Um, so, and Draco, as he's thinking about it, he's like, oh, wait a minute. So, who would benefit from this? Which occurred as Draco was thinking that through, that didn't seem evident to me until you did think about it that way. Um, that well, Dumbledore would benefit from uh, Draco being. Uh, well, so actually, now now that I'm trying to say that out loud, what is it about? What is the specific part of this interaction that he is thinking is of benefit to Dumbledore? The fact that Draco and Hermione would become friendly. Yeah. So I think what what he's put together here is that oh, Harry wasn't having a friendly rivalry with Hermione. He was actually having a friendship. Yeah. Um, like, and not just a friendship. The kind of friendship where someone's willing to you know throw themselves in front of a Dementor mm-hmm. to save the other friend. So like. They're not, they're not rivals like Harry had been telling Draco this whole time. Are, they've really been friends this whole time. Oh my gosh. And I lost my train of thought because of technical difficulties. So I will pick back up and say that it was um, the fact that Draco realized that Harry and Hermione weren't friendly rivals, that they were in fact like super close. And then he's thinking, okay, Draco's been, or Harry's been deceiving me this whole time uh, about his, the nature of his relationship with Hermione. And so what the hell is going on here? And so then that's when he, he draws on his father's wisdom there of to assume that what happened was intended and then ask who benefited. And he's like, all right, well, what happened here? Well, I got much more friendly with Hermione Granger. And who would want that? Dumbledore. Dumbledore. That part, I guess maybe I like then didn't think it through much past that. But what is that that's a particularly advantageous to Dumbledore just that I mean is it just that like oh things will be less contentious between it seems it doesn't seem like some big strategic payoff 
I think it's the the kind of thing that like Draco's primed to be concerned about that Dumbledore is going to try and do something or whatever Draco uh, um, is at risk from a, a Dumbledore style plot because Dumbledore is his family's sworn enemy for reasons that we get into in this chapter. Um, and that uh, it just seems like a Dumbledore style plot. Like, all right, I got this, I got this long con game. I'm going to mm-hmm. make Draco be friends with a mudblood and then his dad won't love him anymore. Bwahaha. Like that, oh, that okay. fits Draco's mental like- model of Dumbledore. That it uh that it's damaging to Draco. I was trying to think of like, is it like, oh, how does that help like things at Hogwarts that they're getting along or something? But uh, I said, yeah, I guess that makes sense. What it did remind me of uh, when we were reading it though is, I can't even remember. Oh yeah, Matt did when uh, when we had our retro, our first retro with Matt because it was something he repeated as part of the podcast that he had said to me. I think beforehand was that um, assume everything in the story is on purpose. Um, and that like, you know, any little inconsistency you see isn't, um, you know, isn't an accident. Uh, it's, it's just from, I think the phrasing of that was, was very similar. Oh yeah. I, if it's, if it's that general, I doubt that he took it from this then. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's just his reading philosophy. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. and it just reminded me of that. <clears throat> I yeah. think maybe like if that was phrased very similarly. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Although Matt's more sage advice that I should be listening to to more is uh, to stop uh, listening to people on Discord. <laughs> yeah, I I take a pretty back seat often. I do read most stuff. It, it depends. I, I I'm glad that a community on Discord is having fun talking about it. Um, my level of involvement, my my level of energy to be involved wavers a lot. So anyway. yeah, I kind of go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. Then, then Draco is sitting there thinking about, um, I, I, so his thought after he's like, okay, it sounds like Dumbledore might be pulling Harry Potter's strings. Then he says, and if that happened, then Draco would have to go to father and tell him everything, no matter what happened after. Draco couldn't imagine what would happen after. It was awful beyond imagining. And what I like about that is that's all one long sentence, and it kind of adds like this urgency to Draco's thoughts. Yeah, and then he he's says, kinda, he's, th- he's done that several places where he like his intentional use of run on sentences to sort of give it a rambling quality to it. He does a good job with that. Yeah, I don't really know how to convey like in someone's head like I'm panicking, yeah. um, in a lot of ways. But that's definitely one way to do it. Yeah. And then he says, which made him desperately want to cling desperately, or excuse me, which made him want to cling desperately to the last shred of hope that it wasn't all what it looked like. And then line break, and Draco remembered that too from Mister Avery's lesson. <laughs> and I and I get like it's you know it it is a valuable lesson that he learned, but it's also just kind of funny About that cookies. like again, yeah, it, it was cookies. It wasn't like. You know, it it didn't cost him actual money or anything. <laughs> cookies are good, man. They are. I could see being traumatized with loss of cookies if I was eleven or however old he was when this happened. Mm. Now, now next after that, so then like Harry walks in and a door that just creaks in a very normal creaking way without any like adverbs attached. Um, but then what he said, I just wanted to double time. Like this is how it always works, right? That uh, it says so Draco, Draco tapped the crystal globe and the classrooms lit with bright green light. Green light projected shadows off the desks, shadows of the desks onto the floor and glared back at him from the curved chair backs. Photons bouncing off the wood in such fashion that the angle of incidence equaled the angle of reflection. As one well like they, that's how it works, right? That's it's not like that's in this particular situation. They always bounce off in the same angle, right? Am I? Yeah. Did I get that right? I just wanted to double check. Yeah, as far as my understanding of optics <laughs> works. Um, I think I think what Draco's doing in his head is he's, he's been learning some science from 
Right. So it's telling us that he's learned science, but I think it's also like he's got in his head, okay, everything Harry Potter's told me is a lie. Mm-hmm. And now, like, so he's trying to, like, frame everything that he's learned in the last, what, it's like after Christmas, like the last six months through that lens. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, that part probably isn't because it made sense in the books I read. So yeah. it, it's just like a little nod, I think, to him being highly suspicious and then confirming that it can't all be untrue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should. I was, and I almost wanted to double check because it did seem like you know, like it was a good example of like, like he's learning the these kind of duh things about physics. But then I'm like, wait a minute, if the, is that duh? Then I, because I'm like, wait, angle of incidence is that the same? Okay, yeah, it is. <laughs> like I thought, I thought I was smart. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's only I guess duh in the sense that like, if, if at any point it, it's it's intuitive, kind mm-hmm. of. It depends. Um, some, some some of this is taught, you know, at a higher level. So who knows what level he? Actually, I think it was at. more like the the with the jargon that threw me. I'm like, wait, I guess no. The jargon made me think like, is it not saying just the the normal thing? Angle of incidence. Anyway, not important. No, but only like I said, in the sense that I think it's just him trying to analyze like it yeah. did everything Harry Potter tell me, uh, or was everything he told me a lie? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I. I love their interactions, um, and we, we can go over obviously in detail. But like, this is just a beat that happens so often, and like Draco is now becoming somewhat trope aware around Harry, <laughs> where it's like, why are you always? Why is conversations with you always like this? Are you are you <laughs> are you weird on purpose? This can't be intentional. This is just you know too consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of makes Harry happy because at some point yeah. he mentioned like earlier in the book that being that weird was the result of a lot of hard work and elbow grease. And yet so- sometimes it does just seem like, like the whole thing here with Dumbledore, like when it comes out later on, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Draco flips his shit and he's like, Oh no, I meant about something else. And uh, there's no way Harry. Well, I don't think there's a way Harry would have guessed that Draco was in there concluding that Dumbledore is behind everything. Right. Um, it's possible Drake or Harry is playing the game that high, but I sort of just assumed it was a funny coincidence that Harry was happy to capitalize on by, you know, earning himself some some surreal points. <laughs> yeah, and there's like some a point later where like Harry's laughing at it about it. It's like this isn't funny. He's like, I know it's not. okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like how like the the interactions between Harry and Drake are kind of evolving on their own. Like they're kind of picking on their own character, how they interact with each other. How do you mean? Well, just like this, like this. So this, what am I trying to say? The, so there's this little thing about like the way Draco will get exasperated about things. Just that the way that they're like, there's sort of a blank slate when they first meet in um, 93 quarters and how they're going to interact. Like there's starting to be like a history to the, to the way they interact. Uh, and it's, it's starting to change because it was first like this, like Harry trying to kind of, you know, hoodwink Draco into becoming a man of science. Um, and and being sort of like manipulative about it and like with a master plan to the whole thing and it's and it's like that that can't keep going on forever so it's had to like change into more and they're starting to be kind of more of a history between them and starting a trust is kind of the wrong word for it but a lessening of distrust um just more, it's more like, genuineness yeah, yeah yeah no i hear you i agree and i was excited about that actually when we were talking about that last chapter or last episode with Kron that uh like Part of what makes Harry's and Hermione's interaction so enjoyable is that he's it's like the only person he's really genuine with. Yeah. And it's it seems like we're getting to the point where Harry's done pretending with Draco and he's like, All right, let's be real now. 
And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if, if that is exactly what's going on and how that pans out. Cause I feel like that could be like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you're curious how it pans out. Sure. You are. Um, <laughs> I got, I got to pretend. <laughs> uh, no, Maybe I'll keep track of the number of things I explicitly lie to you about in the story. Wait, you've been lying to me? No, of course mm. not. Um, I'm starting <laughs> to get more disappointed that my weird, like, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing isn't, like, working out. It just doesn't seem to be going that way. Now, that one's totally uh, true. Oh, well, yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert. Fine. Now you know for sure it's not. Or yeah. do or you? do I? Anyway. I've totally fallen. Like, what, what the hell are we talking about? <clears throat> yeah, sorry. That's on me. Um, um, so... Harry comes in and he basically just opens up like, Hey, I've got an important thing question to ask you, but I wanted to do something before that. And then, uh, he just jumps and I don't actually quite get this non sequitur. Maybe you can help me figure this out. He just, he oh, starts with Draco. Souls? Yeah. Why don't, why don't muggles ever leave ghosts when they die? And Draco says, cause muggles don't have souls, obviously. And then, he's and like, then oh, he wait, just that's... straight up. Like he, it's almost like he didn't even hear the answer. To the question didn't care. His Harry's face showed no surprise. Yeah. yeah like, I don't know why he asked that. Um, I mean, maybe it was like a calibration question or something. But even then, like, uh, I maybe it, this will be something maybe people in the audience can point out to me because it's it's not clear to me what he hopes to learn here. Well, uh, I guess they do call it out. Like even Draco was like Draco calls it a non sequitur. But yeah, uh, yes, yeah, puzzling. There've been a couple. I think there were a couple, a few things in here that. Uh, tripped my paranoia so that like that i'm not clear that now that we're talking about that i'm like oh is that got some like weird hidden meaning um but there were a couple other things uh which i, th- I think we'll get to that i think there were two mentions of harry sweating and i'm like okay that's a little overly specific um draco's no good at casting the quietest charm i think I'm like, we'll probably i'll be reminded when we get to, i think there was one other thing and i'm like oh, are there little hints being dropped or is like some of this just chaff to confuse us but um, so yeah, I guess we'll see. My, my immediate memory of both of those is like Harry's nervous. I think because he really wants this to work because this is like a crucial moment for yeah. like can I finish redeeming Draco? And then I think the quietest charm I think was Draco was just expressing that like he's clearly uh, in distress because yeah, this is right before he describes. I can't, I, um, I can't trust you anymore. You're just you're you're just full of lies. <laughs> How long have you been manipulating me? Uh, all right. Well, I guess we'll we'll get back to it and see where we find it or see where you find it when we get there. So, um, yeah, then Drake. Right, yeah. So he moves past the ghost question and then he's just like, all right, cool. Before I ask my important question, I want to see if you can cast the Patronus charm. And then he's just like, this is the line again. This is just like their their dynamic. For an, for a moment, the sheer non sequitur stumped Draco. Good old impossible to predict or understand Harry Potter. There were times when Draco wondered if whether Harry was deliberately this disorienting as a tactic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and see, I don't, and he gets, and then Draco gets like all bent about like, oh, you want me to cast a Patronus? Because just like what does he say? Just like uh, like Dumbledore's servants. Um, and I didn't wasn't until we read this or like a few paragraphs after this that that he associates Patronuses as being like a Gryffindor Dumbledore, even though Dumbledore's not specifically a Gryffindor. Anyway. He um, was. was it, oh yeah, he was, but he, yeah, I guess he, cause he's not the head of the house. Of, yeah. I mean, so anyway. I, I think you're supposed to transcend your house yeah. and you take the headmaster position, but like he was always a Gryffindor. Yeah. Um, 
but yes, yeah, so I it, I didn't immediately get when he first said that that like oh casting Patronus makes him like is taking him to Dumbledore's side. That wasn't I didn't qu- that didn't quite click until I read it a little later. And as I, as we're talking about that, and I was thinking about it because in a little bit from now that he'll talk about like basically that Slytherins don't cast Patronuses. Um, which sort of like made sense. And like, if you just like substitute Slytherins as bad guys, um, but that's not actually true because Snape had a, had a Patronus. So I wasn't clear. Like, is that not the case in this world? I don't know. I don't think people knew that Snape had a Patronus and even in the uh, regular books, right? Yeah. Cause so, and he was, yeah. and he wasn't quite, but he was, I guess they never, I mean, the, the houses weren't as like cut and dry having a particular meaning in the original, but, um, so I guess he was sort of not like only sort of a Slytherin. He was totally a Slytherin though, but, um, he was, he was head of the house, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, kind of a Slytherin. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, you know, this is taking its own way, but it did mention when they all went out for, for, or, uh, Patronus practicing that only two Slytherins from the first year had bothered showing up to try. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure how many they're supposed to be. I think I'm guessing 20 or 30 or something per, per, per class. year. I guess we never yeah. really got a good sense of how uh, how big Hogwarts is. I think a rolling estimate was something like 1,200 students. So divide that by seven years and then mm. buy four houses. Yeah. That's math. That's hard. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So we'll just, we'll just <laughs> say we'll say 30. Um. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and uh, not so many that not everybody can have their own four poster bed. Right. Or they, they don't get their own uh, private quarters because Draco gets that because he's special. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so Draco freaks out because he, he associates the Patronus charm with Gryffindors and especially with Dumbledore, because right now he's primed for the trap to snap shut that, aha, this is all Dumbledore's plan. Mm. And so I think, I, I think all roads in Draco's mind right now are pointing to Dumbledore. Yeah. And then, so he, it says like Dumbledore's servants, he's spat. And then, yeah. And at this point is where we're like his, his like anti Dumbledore doorness. We don't have, I mean, and we get that, we get that. Uh, not much in only a few pages from now, but um, we don't really understand his hatred of Dumbledore as really anything more than bad guys hate good guys. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that sort of like makes all of this, a, puts all of this he's like been a political opponent of his father's. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it makes it like sort of makes his just visceral hatred of Dumbledore make more sense. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I really like the, the reveal in this chapter. And I'm yeah. looking forward to talking about yeah. it. Um, and I guess what I, you know, um, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, so, so Harry yeah. just replies steadily, like Salazar Slytherin, and then proves it with books. Yeah, and I, yeah, and that, so that so that Salazar Slytherin could cast Matronus and Godric Gryffindor couldn't. And I liked how it, um, like, it wasn't just sort of, like, conveniently flipping around, like, oh, bad guy could, but good guy couldn't. It was, like, it, we're not demonizing uh, Godric Gryffindor or like lionizing um, Slytherin uh, but also like and not making either bad because because um, it's not like oh Slytherin was this misunderstood lovely person and see he could cast a Patronus um, so he was a good guy but like very shortly from here we be, oh no but he was still totally racist um, so but I like it it just makes everybody not all one thing or the other um, I totally agree I like that a lot. And, you know, we got that nice, that really touching humanizing moment from Gryffindor's yeah. uh, background where, um, you know, he was a an accomplished and uh, 
what was the word they used? Um, it was like he, he was a, a powerful. Oh, no, that wasn't it. Something, but he wasn't a happy man. I forget the, oh. the phrase. Um, yeah, I can't, I don't, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, but yeah, so that was awesome. And then you know, this one just talks about how you know, uh, uh, Lady Hufflepuff and Lord Slytherin bought, brought forth their patronuses, and um, the book doesn't call it out as weird that he could do it. And yeah. so, like the the idea that, oh yeah, well you know, that's not you know that that sort of you know light and fluffy magic isn't for us Slytherins. That's got to be somewhat new. All the uh, the original wizards of Hogwarts casting their Patronuses together gives me a very like Captain Planet vibe to it. It does, except for dumb, our except, four except houses together. Oh yeah, he couldn't. <laughs> He's just standing there with his wand, just limp. Poor Godric. That's He's no probably happy blowing thought. up mountains or some cool shit. There's no happy thought. He needs a hug. He would, yeah, he would, I, <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I'm just trying to think of a joke and I can't, I'm coming up with nothing. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I do get the vibe and it, it does sound cool. And I, I think that that could make a cool image or, or you know, um, a, you know, that'd make a good poster or something. Yeah. But in any case, um, uh, He's trying to get Draco. What I like about this is he's trying to talk Draco into like, hey, here's all the good reasons why you should learn the Patronus charm. Yeah, and he comes at him from like a few different ways. Like he needs and like ways that aren't like the kumbaya version of it. Exactly. I don't think I don't think he even tries that until afterwards. He he just mentions like the the military advantage of learning the Patronus charm, Mm. and Draco's like, I don't give a shit about that. And so then he's like, all right, well then I'm calling in the favor, Yomi, from from the time I stopped the riot from breaking out on our first day of broomstick lessons. And what I like about that is it was clearly like his planned hand that he was ready to play. Yeah. Right. Um, he was like, Hey, if I can get him to just agree to this and keep this favor in my back pocket, I totally will. But oh, okay. I'm ready to spend the favor. This sounds good. Yeah. I think it's again, another interesting part. It made me think that how much in this book, like people giving promises or like, I won't go back on my word, like how much currency every, like not just Harry, but like everybody seems to. And I don't know if that's just cause that like that works as good, like just as a plot device. Um, and to like, you know, build characters that were, you know, going, being true to your word is, is a really big deal. But it's just interesting to me, especially like, with the, like, this is a dude that tortured him in another, you know, part of this book. But while well, you know, he gave his word, so we're good. Um, and, it, and it's not, it was like, even in the moment, other than this, like, idle thought of mine, it doesn't even detract from it. It's like, sort of works maybe because it's just a very sort of storytelling way for characters to interact. But I think it's just sort of funny, like as like at each other's throats is, and cause it's not just like Harry Draco. It's a lot of, I think like, as I remember, like Harry Snake, like, it, and it's always this weird, like, let me, you know, bring my lawyer into the room temporarily and we'll, you know, decide what are the exact terms of these promises we're about to make. Um, but I think it's funny, like in the back of every character's head is, well, I mean, he's, he's, he's pinky promised. Okay, yeah, it's a picky promise. It's the unbreakable vow. He promised, and, and I bought him lunch in July. I mean, he owes me lunch next time I ask him for lunch, and I'm hungry now. Yeah, I I, I do like it as kind of like a, it seems like a very Slytherin way to run things. And yeah, it seems to be just yeah. how everyone does it. Maybe it actually is just the Slytherin, so I'll have to keep my eyes open for that. But, I want to say like he right? had, that he did something similar with uh, Dumbledore. I can't remember what it was, but I think it's been between a lot of different characters. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, maybe it's, like, because I don't have anything to spend money on. I, well, that actually, does, I was going to say, like, you know, they could be giving each other 10 bucks here and there or something, but, like, all their food and housing is provided. Like, what are they going to spend money on in school? So that's not it. And that also doesn't quite connect this line. I think I just like it as like a little story, as like a, like I said, as a story device. And it it just, it yeah. somehow, it, it it's, like, definitely not how, 
like it's way more transactional than the real world. Yeah. And yet I, it, it seems to flow and work perfectly. Yeah. It, it, work, it, it works. It as like, up yeah, that well. like it works in fiction and it, and it like adds, you know, tension and stuff that's interesting. It's, and I like the part that's puzzling to me isn't so much everybody's interest in it, interest in it, but like for the level of distrust and deception that is going on between lots of different characters in lots of different ways, the amount of trust that everybody puts into it, like, you know, Quirrell and Harry, like just everybody's like, well, he gave his word. Gave yeah. Word. You would think if anyone's not going to believe a promise, it'd be I like Quirrell. Like how, Quirrell yeah. asks him like a number of times, like yeah. swear you, you won't swear? tell I'm people like, oh, about well, like Well, this. he swore. So clearly. Yeah. He's now bound. Yeah. I mean, I think they've mentioned unbreakable vows in the stories. Like we know that's a thing. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Dumbledore mentioned it when he asked like about, you know, if he could see Harry's cloak when they first met. And um, it was like very clear that, <laughs> Uh, th- that an ordinary, you know, oath to, pro- this was where Harry like articulates it, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, giving your word is serious to him. And it seems to be bizarrely serious to these conniving Slytherins and others, right? Yeah. I, I, so far we haven't had someone say, oh, well, I'm calling in that favor. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, fuck I'm, it. I'm betraying you. No. Yeah, I know. But you swore. I mean, yeah, I lied. Right. This is this is hard I, for you. I mean, I guess you know, on a on a meta level of like outside that one transaction, it would therefore mark you among everybody as somebody who doesn't keep their word. And so that's in the in the small wizarding community of Muggle Britain, or excuse me, of, of wizarding Britain. That's that's got to be kind of worth a lot. Like, oh yeah, don't trust uh, Blaze Zabini. He's a known liar. If he says he'll do something for you, there's there's very little likelihood that he will. Yeah, I guess for or me, like, there's reason to believe he won't. if this, you know, if this really were a thing happening in the real world and I knew about it, it would be like, if it's, who are you lying to for me is, is the big one. If, if somebody is, if you're lying to an asshole, I don't judge you much. Um, in fact, I will probably like, I really have it in this sort of like a work scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I like, was thinking like lying to the police for your friends. Yeah. And it, well, yes, that's even like sort of a little more, but it's more like lying for your coworker to your asshole boss. Um, like I don't judge you at all. Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Anyway, I guess maybe they'll, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, it wasn't even we'll, so much about it. like it in this story. It's sort of because like this is, it's, it's very much like it would be in any other story. And it just made me think like, it's interesting that, I guess something about the way we read fiction like this for some reason that fits better in a fiction universe as just a thing. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, I do like that you draw attention to it because it is, it is interesting and it's just something that like is set up that we all take for granted and yeah. I definitely have. But it is just, you know, like I said, on a, on a narrative note, like just kind of an interesting thing that's going on and nobody seems to um, talk about it too much. Yeah. But other than us, we talk about it a lot. So I've got to fill these three hours some way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so then, then Harry moves into calling in his favor. And so then Draco's like, oh, fuck, God, Harry Potter always always doing this shit. But it, it would have been a fair return on a favor owed. And given that it wasn't actually a Gryffindor spell, um, it, I guess it is a good idea to discharge that favor on something innocuous. Yeah. And Harry says, when, he asks, when Draco asks why, he says, to find out whether you can do this thing that Sal- Salazar Slytherin could do. This is an experimental test, and I will not tell you what it means until after you've done it. Will you? And then he says, all right. Fine. And I like, and then the description of them starting to do it. There's something about like, I like how the, like they're, they've all, you can see the practice they've all put into it. There's something about that that's sort of appealing to like, oh, he's starting to get good at it. And so, he, and so that's even true with Draco as he's, um, I can't remember how's the description, but you know, as Draco's getting ready to do things. 
Um, or did I, I think I jumped ahead. Oh, um, when, he's, when he's teaching it to yeah, him. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, a couple of paragraphs. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, 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 that's where we're at next. Um, oh, but then this did. This was the other the other little bit of, of foreshadowing I, or suspicious, the, the suspicious description that uh, this was the other one I was thinking of, was that as Draco's uh, like getting ready to do it, um, how do you say, um, Harriet also felt an odd impulse to adjust things that Mr. Lupin hadn't said anything about, like the angle of Draco's elbow or the direction his foot was pointing. It could have been entirely his own imagination, and probably was, but Harriet decided to go with it just in case. Like, this is one of these things you're like, oh, okay, that's clearly a clue to something. I have no idea to what, but... Or, it could be a, or misdirection, intended to look like a clue to something. That's the That's the thing with... Like, if the author is writing characters that are this conniving and, and twisty, you can imagine that some of the clues are that conniving mm-hmm. and twisty. For me, and this is my honest, serious interpretation of it, is I see that as, like, it, Harry has kind of mastered, like, he called it the Patronus 2.0. Mm-hmm. Like, so he's, he seems to have a better understanding of how this spell really works than even Professor, or even, even than Mr. Lupin. And so... Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and just go with my gut here because my gut let me kill Dementors. Yeah. So it's it like um, there's something about it because it, it's about like this because he's not like, oh, you need to think of it. I mean, he does also have like the stuff, you know, what's your mental state as you're doing this. But it's like weirdly specific physical stuff, like the angle of his elbow and that at least like as I'm reading this, it's like, oh, he's got some like secret knowledge that he's on a like buried knowledge in his head um, from his I dark think that's mark. Kind of what it is. Um, from his what? From his dark mark. I know, from his uh, from his scar. Like in the original, how it, uh, like that's his bit of Voldemort inside him. I oh, still yeah. think it's interesting, and, like the extent to which we're, but like how much of the original are we supposed to just disregard? Or... Well, and I mean, I guess my only thought on that is that like I don't think that uh, Voldemort had any special knowledge about the Patronus trial. Yeah, that's right? that's what, like that's <laughs> that's, that's what I was saying. I'm like, wait, that doesn't work. So where the hell does that come from? But yeah, there's something that, but that is like weird. This description is because it's not just like, oh, he's learned something more. It's like he's got specific like past life knowledge of uh, of how to do stuff. I mean, because it's not just like, oh, he's learned a thing about Patronuses. It's like he knows about how elbows are supposed to be pointed. Um, and this is me purely speculating. Liar. And this this is... Uh, no, no, I'm serious. Um, I'm wondering... So, like, I wonder if the Patronus 2.0 is, like, interdicted knowledge. Um, like, you can, learn the, you can learn how to do basic spells from books. I don't know if the Patronus charm you can learn from a book or not. Um, I'm assuming it maybe just helps I to have a real no, instructor. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, wouldn't, because maybe, the interdict is just like basically anything of any significance can only be taught person to person, right? Yeah, but I'm not sure how significant the Patronus charm is. Isn't it, um, it's like the, it's the thing. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's powerful magics were interdicted. I'm yeah. not quite sure if this is powerful. I mean, it's definitely powerful. Patronus, I, but I, I, my, maybe it's... Yeah, my impression of the story is like Patronus is like a, it's the opposite of an abracadabra. Like it's, it's, the, light, it's the, the nuclear bomb on the light side. That's always been my take. Yeah, I guess so I'm wondering if interdicted knowledge is just powerful or if it's just uh, dangerous or something. But in any case, my, my guess is that maybe the Patronus 2.0 is is interdicted in some way. And that now that Harry has like solved the mystery on his own and uh, discovered it himself, like the rest of the knowledge kind of comes with it. Again, I'm I'm yeah. I'm, 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 lit- I'm I'm not and I'm not bluffing at all. Minute, I'm pulling this out of my ass because he uh, um, he wrote 
uh, a note to Hermione about how to do it. So then maybe that note wouldn't have worked anyway. Oh, Because it couldn't yeah. have survived the interdict. My, at least, I mean, my very not, uh, not well-reviewed um, recall of this is that the interdict was basically like anything of any significance, not like levels of power, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like trivial things could be learned from a book, but non-trivial things needed to be taught person to person was mm. my... Those, that's my recall. That's fair. Yeah, I, I can't quite remember. I'll have to go back and look. I was just guessing that, like, if he had if he had somehow rediscovered interdicted knowledge, then maybe like the rest of it comes with, or like Harry acknowledges, maybe he's just you know it could have been entirely his own imagination and probably was. Like yeah. he's thinking, well, I've got special insight into this, and I'm getting all these hunches. It could be me just making them up, or maybe it's not. So I'll just roll with it. Um, anyway so he, yeah it does make me like like to what extent like you know it turns out at the end of this book that Quirrell is actually Voldemort and that Harry has some like secret attachment to him because of how the killing curse was cast on him as a child who'd have thought oh wait because, because of the direction that Voldemort's foot was pointing <laughs> no, when he cast like, it like, like is that going to be the big shocker at the end that Quirrell is Voldemort wait a minute why didn't somebody tell me that Quirrell might have been Voldemort Oh, man, that would be quite the devastating blow. <laughs> oh, but he's not wearing a turban, so he couldn't. But, hmm. I think, like, at the very least, if, well... I mean, like, if, as long as my brain has gone there. What I like about it is, like, so you're not going to be surprised by that, but you also, like, it's clear. So he doesn't have the turban, so we know it's, like, not that Voldemort's in the back of his head. So, like, you could tell it's going to be something different, but we don't know yet what it's going to be, so... Like, and there's just, like, not enough to go on. Like, yeah, like, what we're about to get into is, like, is Dumbledore actually evil? Like, that's on the table. Um, but we just, I mean, there isn't enough to know right now. There's things that, like, that could be true, could not be true. You don't know yet. So, we don't know yet. Don't know. Well, I don't uh, know yet. Apparently, yeah, this the, the collective, this is the, the, the royal. The, this is the episode where I fixate on the fact that you already know how this stuff works out. So, yeah. It's part of the fun. I know. How does this, uh, how's it, where are we going? Yeah. Part of, part of the fun is also trying to remember what we were talking about. So um, Harry, Harry's trying to give Draco inspiration for how to cast it. And he's saying, all right, so you remember that time that you told me when you fell off the broomstick and broke your wrist and you thought you were going to die and your father was there holding your hand? Um, you know, pretend that like that fear is coming from a Dementor and let let the, the knowledge that your father is there for you and that he loves you be the brandishing thought that you cast at it. And so that's... I like his, it's almost like a kick in the nuts, but it's like, if there's a lovely way to do it, I'm not sure. But it says, show me you didn't lie to me that day in the train station when you told me Lucius was a good father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like, like, this feels a little awkward at first, but I, I really like how, like, this is one of my favorite things about the chapter is the, the way we kind of humanize Draco here and this, like, his his feelings about his father. It's really interesting, like, the whole parents thing in general in this book is really interesting because it's like it feels very like it's coming from a like an unauthentic place um but it's also like it's very not uh it's not like simple so i like that a lot but um it's weird it has like this dynamic that i i don't know if like this was written trying to deliberately mimic the like mentality of raising a young noble or something but since there's so much like concern about houses and nobility and status in this world like i wonder you know i bet 400 years ago 11 year olds were a bit especially noble ones were were a bit more mature than your average you know run-of-the-mill peasant 11 year old and so 
like this this sort of like dynamic here where there's there seems to be like a lot of I don't know treating your kids kind of like adults from parents uh, from magical parents um, not unmagical ones that's kind of a, a point that Harry hits on a couple times mm-hmm. that seems to be a thing that happens a lot but anyway yeah I think it's just interesting like it's been, like the the two sides of this that we keep and this is again where we see Draco as this just this kid sort of desperately wanting his father's approval and then this we didn't we don't see it at all here but like it just this really reminded me a lot of the scene in um uh at the train station whose name i've now forgotten um with uh with lucius where where we see like lucius like letting his guard down for that minute where he says like if anything happened to Draco, i would give myself over to vengeance um, where we see these like really like kind of fucked up people in a very sort of kind of human way though like like sympathetic like like sort of like really bad people in a in a sympathetic way um yeah. like like personhood yeah. theory <gasps> i mean i'm not i'm not actually sure what personhood theory is but if i i'm going to make up a definition right now it'll be like your enemies are people too yeah. you know like people who attend nazi rallies in the united states are people with lives and you know they have pets they love and they have people they care about it's weird to think about right yeah um, you know, it, your your terrible criminals might have again. I I, I jump to pets because like I think that's just like a, a wholesome flavor of of compassion and love. And it was a a sort of like uh, a, I've mentioned something before, but I'm not sure if on this podcast. Like I had a, I had an old coworker I used to not get along with very well, and one of his cats died, and he'd known that I had a cat that died a few years ago, and we we kind of bonded over his grief. And um, at the it was like. I, I didn't like working with him. He wasn't uh, uh, a great, you know, coworker, but I had this thought. What was his name? We were, we Where did you work with him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, his name. Oh, God. I think it was uh, Brian. Brian. He worked at Vertifor. Brian uh, Deacon, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I had this thought and I was like, you know what? This guy annoys me, but at the end of the day, he's just a guy who loves his cat. And I could totally relate to that. And so, you know, there are people... Uh, and this is like the most like benign form of, you know, dislike of somebody. But, you know, I, I can if I walk past somebody with a swastika tattoo on their shoulder and a, a MAGA hat, I, you know, I, I can look at this person and be like, all right, there's a great chance we don't align and we can't be friends. But there's he's 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 this guy's a person, too. You know, um, I think this story does a really good job of not having one dimensional yeah. nemeses yeah, and bad guys. Yeah. Right. Every, everybody's got a history and a and it's. They, they have stories that, that matter to them and they're the, the authors of their story in, a, in well, they're the, they're the good guys in their own story. Right. Yeah. No one's running around like I'm the villain. Bwahaha. Yeah. Uh, I, I, a little more tangenty, but like, does at least for me, like when you have those moments where you see the human side of somebody you don't like, like my other reaction sometimes. So I totally get that. Uh, what you just described, but the other one is like, you're irritated. It's like, oh, you know, what? it's harder to hate you now. Fucker. I was. I really don't want to entertain the idea that you're also like a decent person. Sometimes it's just sometimes way more convenient to just call you an asshole twenty four seven. It would be more convenient, right? Because like, oh, then, then you wouldn't have to worry oh, about like humanizing them. Then they could just be the the nameless enemy that'd be okay to you know just drop a bomb on. But when you like, it's it's a less inspiring battle cry. You know, one one version is like you know die evil monster scum. Another version is die, you poor people who were born under the wrong people, who were born under the wrong regime, and could have been my friends if things had been differently. With whom I have significant disagreement. Right. (laughs) So, um, 
Anyway, Draco succeeds at casting the Patronus charm. Oh, yeah. And, and it's a snake. He, it's a snake. Of course it is. And it's, and it's a snake that comes with a lovely childhood memory of it being the most dangerous, deadly snake ever. <laughs> Father had said that, no, that he was never allowed to pet it, even if someone was watching. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, and it's what I guess you know, just beating on that that drum of like they treat their kids like adults. Mm. Like, why would you have this thing in the house? It wasn't not even if it wasn't <laughs> even if someone was no matter who was watching, <laughs> right? There's nobody yeah. who could be watching that would make it okay. <laughs> it ate other snakes. It, yeah, it's it's as Slytherin as any creature could possibly be, and I, actually that's kind of fun, significant in its own way. Now that it's, now that we're drawing it out, because like it it signifies to Draco and sort of to us that like this isn't a, a non-Slytherin thing like there's nothing more Slytherin to Draco than a blue crate mm-hmm. and uh if if that's his Patronus then like oh I guess this isn't a Gryffindor thing after all I haven't been tricked yeah As, uh, um the other way that what I'm realizing the, the more Patronuses we're seeing on the story that as read in this book I get way more of like a force aura vibe like like this snake is just like yoda's glowing blue pet snake you know this is his force spirit version of the snake that's how i sort of read him too just like without the like sentience that uh yoda's ghost has (laughs) but yeah there there does need to be and like they were powerful evocative uh emotionally evocative things in the canon version too but in this they 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 carry more it seems like they're not just in they're not just uh you know, shiny, visible versions of happy thoughts. Yeah. They they carry more than that, and it's hard to briefly articulate what yeah. that is. I think it's probably because it's easier to do in a book. It's easier to put that into a character. Like if if all you've got to go with is you know audio visual in a movie, it's sort of hard to like wow that that dough is just really meaningful. There's only so much well, CGI I can I, do. I mean, in the books too. You think? Um, like, yeah, I guess they, so. They, they were, yeah, I guess that's true. They were inspiring in the books, but they they didn't seem to have this much. Yeah. Like, it was more. I find, and you know, it's been fifteen years since I read uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban, but like, it seemed it seemed to be like the big thing was that he could cast it, not and like maybe that its shape was a stag, yeah. like his dad's uh, animagus form or whatever. But it wasn't so much like, and the light it gave off was you know this powerfully emotional thing. It was like, oh, I can do it. I can stop Dementors, yeah. and it's my dad's yeah, shape. True. It was, it was, that seemed to be the whole of it in this, in uh, the canon version. But in this, there's more to him. And I, I love that. Yeah. But the, the Patronuses in this are, are a nice, positive, uh, warm, fuzzy for me. Yeah. So. And, I, and my recollection of the original is that like the form they took or like the significance of that was really only realized like after the fact. So like in the moment as they're described, there wasn't you know, a lot of depth to the actual Patronus. Not literal, but like, you know, a lot, not a, a lot of significance to it, like, other than like what you said, just that the fact that it was. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Anyway, that's why this is a better book than canon. So um, this, this is yeah. this is case point. This is case number uh, four, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, that should be a good question to keep in the back of your mind. Like when we wrap this up, um, you know, when this podcast is done, mm-hmm. I mean, not tonight, but the, the show, I wonder... Well, I'll, I'll try to remember to ask, and I'm sure someone will remind me if you liked this more than you liked canon. I guess we'll, we'll, see. we'll yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, I suspect there's there's pros and cons to each. Uh, in there's any case, no wrong answers. No, of course. No, I mean there's not. <laughs> I mean, like canon also had like I think special significance for you, right? Like this would be a weird book to read to your daughter over the course of like four years, right? So that would be um, weird. Yes. Yeah, especially since it opens up with a well, not opens up, but it would be on like the first 
month of reading it to her, be like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to explain to you what rape is now. So, oh, God. Um, yeah, so, so there's a lot, there's, nice. there's less warm fuzzies with that particular uh, a bit. But pushing through the book, because we need to keep going. Um, so Draco realizes that now that he had cast uh, Patronus and what how like beautifully radiant it was and what it meant to him that um, it was uh, he he looks at Harry and he's like wait but you can't cast it and he says oh yeah actually you pulled out this quote too yeah um, which is fine, like because at this point that we're reading it we don't understand Draco's attitude about Dumbledore as anything more than you know bad guys hate good guys. Uh, but what Draco says is, uh, you could be evil like Dumbledore and still cast the Patronus charm, so long as you had something bright left inside you. But if Harry Potter didn't have a single thought inside him that shone like that, um, so I just thought it was like, uh, and it to- it makes sense, you know, a few paragraphs from now, um, but it's it was it stuck out where how matter of fact, not matter of fact, but like how accepted as fact. It is in Draco's mind that well, Dumbledore is just evil. Like Dumbledore is the example he gives of of evil, um, which up until that, like we don't really have a context for why he thinks that as he's saying this. Yeah, up until this point, we just kind of get the feeling that it was childhood indoctrination. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, Dad hates Dumbledore. Dumbledore must be the worst, yeah. and we don't have any reasons for, for or, it. Excuse me, Father hates father, Dumbledore. That's right. Yes, father, um, Daddy. Yeah, it doesn't say Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> Father, British. Father, Father. Anyway, so Dumbledore, or Harry's like, yeah, actually I can, but it's confusing because my life's peculiar. So you can just ask Quirrell, and uh, if you don't believe me, he'll tell you. Um, so, and I like that he's, Harry just says, well, my life gets peculiar and my Patronus came out strange, so I'm keeping it a secret. And he's like, oh, peculiar. I'm just supposed to believe that. <laughs> yeah, this is um, a, another one. Of the, well, ask Quirrell, and it was sort of just another version of it. And he'll give you his word. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, but then he, he does say to himself, well, Quirrell wouldn't lie for trivial reasons. Mm. So at least Draco's capable of entertaining <laughs> the idea that someone might lie. Um, uh, let's see. So, And then this is part where uh, we sort of get it called like very um, explicitly. Um, Harry then says to Draco, I wonder uh, when it was that people started to think that Slytherins themselves, that people started to think that Slytherins themselves started to think that being cunning and ambitious was the same as being cold and unhappy. Um, so like, I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, it's hard to, th- this is where like it, it does the, the kind of, like you said, dive into like Harry might as well be talking to himself. It's, I'm tempted just to read the whole thing, but he, he does, it wraps up with him saying, like, I wonder when this happened. And if Salazar Slytherin had knew that his students didn't even bother to show up to learn the Patronus charm anymore, would he wish he'd never been born? I wonder how it, went all, how it all went wrong when Slytherin's house went wrong. And the, yeah, and then and this then, is where Draco is like, well, and then the words that seemed like automatic to fall from that was basically, you know, uh, what would you know about Salazar Slytherin? You were never sorted into my house. What gives you the right to? Uh, and then Draco's like, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> and that's where Draco realizes. I guess we're still not entirely. because Anyway, Draco's like, wait a minute. You were sorted into Slytherin and you just decided not to. Um, and at least in my head, like at this point, it's vague as to whether. I, I guess, yeah, if Harry had said yes, he could have gone, he could have gone into Slytherin. But like that he was like. My take is that Draco is seeing this as like, oh, no, he is a Slytherin that like is pretending to be a Ravenclaw. At least my version of my impression of things is that he 
he's also a Ravenclaw. It's not like he doesn't belong in Ravenclaw, uh, but that, yes, he was hiding, but there's Slytherin in there too. Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, he, then they have this whole thing about where, um, oh, well, I suppose you might be the second or third person to come up with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Quirrell and Snape sort of thought the same thing. And, um, and then I, I like this too, because he's thinking it was so obvious. How, how had you ever bought for one minute that Harry was a Ravenclaw? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, yeah, well, Quirrell's thought was that Dumbledore wasn't happy with the hatch choice for the boy who lived. And the instant Harry said it, Draco knew it. He knew it was true. It was just obvious. Who did Dumbledore even think he was fooling? <laughs> and like up until like the previous sentence, Draco, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that that uh, Quirrell's version of events was right, which we have good yeah. reason to believe it wasn't because we were in Harry in the Hat's head when it happened. But um, it was just a, a funny like little thing where he's just like, oh, that's obvious. obvious. Oh, wait, no, that's obvious. <laughs> I knew it all along. Oh, wait. Right. And then, well, speaking of all along, so then he asks him, he says, Harry, did you deliberately antagonize me and General Sunshine just so we'd work together against you? And then Harry nodded without hesitation as though it was the most normal thing and would nothing to be ashamed of. (laughs) He says, the whole point of that was just to make me and Granger friendly towards each other. All that climbing around on on the walls and stuff. And even before then, you've been plotting this for a really long time, since the beginning. Again, the nod. Why? Why? <laughs> Y-T-H-O. Why, though? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, it took me a second. <laughs> and, so, and then Harry's, like, one sentence response. So that Slytherins will be able to cast the Patronus charm again. And I like that because it's, like, I mean, it's sort of succinct little sentence, but it's, like, a sort of a positive thing to say, but also a... Um, so what I'm trying to, like this is another way that Harry's like kind of framing this you know don't be evil version of Slytherin as a as a strength um, and not in any kind of manipulative way but just uh, you know and what he'll go on to in, in a little bit after this that like this this shittiness that you guys have um, this institutional shittiness uh, is hurting you uh, and is a weakness so yeah and it's like and it's clear that Harry wasn't doing this from day one because, you know, he wants Slytherins to cast the Patronus charm literally yeah. because he didn't know what that was until a month ago or something, right? So it it wasn't like, oh, I want to teach them the Patronus charm. It was more like, okay, you guys are clearly, you know, coming from a bad bunch and I've seen this shit before. We've got racists in Muggle London, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't, the, the Patronus charm is the manifestation of, of that. It wasn't like... Um, it, it was a total non sequitur for him to say, oh, well, you know, so you could learn the Patronus charm uh, if you if you weren't if you're taking it literally. He meant it kind of like not not just so you could cast this spell that I didn't know existed until recently, but because I wanted you guys to be capable of being the kinds of people who could do this. Yeah, I think it's what and I'm not even sure what to make of this thought, but I think it is also true at the same time that this is merely the actions he took as a result of trying to retroactively justify his desire to make friends with the cool kid. Could be a bit of like, both, yeah. Like, like this. And it's only I'm like neither of them takes away from the other one in a way that doesn't make sense if you like think about it too hard, but No, I agree. I think I think both work. Um like I think I'm I'm fully on board with the fact that he wanted to be friends with Draco because he was fun and charming and and could carry a conversation with him, and like the whole uh, all right well let's I, I can't be friends with the Nazis so I got to get him off the Nazi board or off the Nazi train and then we then once he's on board with that then I can actually be his friend in public, but then I think I don't, th- I don't sure think when... off the Nazi train was the right use of that metaphor but 
Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't he's, even think about he's that. He's not the train rider in that metaphor. Oh jeez. Okay. He's the conductor yes. uh, in that metaphor. Right. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> um, it was it was more like he wanted to be friends with Draco, and then he was like, "All right, well, I got to redeem him, so I can be friends with him." And then he was like, "Oh, it's not just Draco; it's like a quarter of the population is like this." Mm-hmm. And so, all right, I I bet we can fix this too. And that it seemed to kind of grow from those underlying yeah. desires. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, because it's I mean, it, at this point, I take like these are. It's like sincere motivations on Harry's part and, and his feelings for Drake. I, I do. I think like he really is interested in saving Draco. That's like sincere as he's doing it. But so it's, it's, I, it's just sort of interesting that I, it is also the fact it's like he stumbled into that. He, he became the thing he was just sort of bullshitting himself about uh, and it became, you know, authentic. So just think that's interesting. Yeah. I, it, I'm I'm with you. Like just because it came after the fact doesn't mean it can't also yeah. be authentic. And I like that. It there's there's no reason it can't be both. Um, <laughs> so maybe even a non-interesting tangent, but it reminded me my brother's a a doctor um and he was a total shallow prick when we were growing up and he became a doctor because he wanted to be rich. Um and then he actually turned into a nice person that like wants to care for people. I think he's taking care of uh COVID-19 patients right now cuz he got it and got over it. But geez, that's hard. <laughs> but no, it's funny because no, well, I mean, he was, to- I mean, he was totally like, oh, you know, I'm just going to be a rich, you know, uh, master of the universe and become a doctor. And, and then I think that's actually part of medical school. They like beat into you. It's like, yeah, we know you assholes showed up here to be rich, but you're actually going to be nice humans now. And it worked. Oh yeah. The hardcore part I was responding to was the, the COVID stuff. And I'm glad he, he recovered. Um, and it makes him like an excellent person yeah, voice like, to help people. Robo doctor. Yeah. Uh, He's yeah. But Superman. the, that is interesting. And I think that is part of the what they teach is like, yes, this, yes, you'll, you'll have tons of, of social prestige and money from being a doctor, but that's not why you're here. Um, you know, this is the job is to help people. The fact that it pays well in both, you know, money and social capital isn't the point. And And I think that's like very much now now his real motivation is I want to help people. That's awesome. And it's my impression is that like, that's a very common, you know, way that it plays out. Cause I mean, cause he really is very sincere about it. Um, now, um, but he wasn't when he's getting started. Nah, I mean, it was, you know, it's was, it was in that like uncomfortable kind of, you know, whatever. I'm sure he wouldn't have said that in the beginning. Actually, now he might. He's pretty self-aware now. So. <laughs> I, you know, it's, and it's easier to be self-aware of those things when he can sort of very honestly say to himself that he's, you know, doing the right thing now. So, yeah, totally. Help more people than I am. <laughs> well, we can't all be doctors. Um. Anyway, so this uh, Harry goes on to to explain like the the pattern that he recognized when Harry when Draco was giving his spiel about the uh, blood purism you know all right so I heard I heard your racist speech and I was immediately able to generate you know from the pattern of that the kinds of things that have happened in the Muggle world and I am going to go ahead and describe to you the kind of people that I bet are invited to your house for dinner but that your father would never socialize with mm-hmm. in public and that uh, you know I he's basically like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna give you like some examples of the kind of people that suck that are also on yeah. board with this bullshit. What I thought, and what then, I thought was cool was that it doesn't actually like we don't get to see that description. It's sort of like he leaves it up to us to fill in the blanks on that in kind of a way that is probably you know also you know it's it, rather than like you know playing out what is the stereotype. Um, he knows that like okay we've got that stereotype in our head and just lets us stick it in there for him. Yeah, I like that a lot. It leaves it up to us and it makes it. Like okay, yeah, we can match that pattern yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. 
And so to sum up, they don't have any power themselves. They don't have any wealth themselves. And if they didn't have Muggleborns to hate, if all the Muggleborns vanished like they say they want, they'd wake up one morning and find that they had nothing. And But so long as they could say they, that they're superior because they're purebloods, then they can feel like, you know, part of the master class. Um, so it, it's like, and what I like is that Draco had said, um, he would never have dared think these things to himself in case there's legilimens around. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, yeah, how did he put it? Because he starts naming, uh, and Harry Potter proceeded to describe the Parkinson's and Montagues and Bulls with a calmly cutting accuracy that Draco couldn't have dared think to himself. I like, instead of just saying like, oh, he describes somebody like this and like that, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that family I recognize. Oh, and the other family I recognize. Yeah, and he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's nailing it. <laughs> uh, and so then... That then Harry is kind of wrapping up his, his thought on this and he's saying like, you know, this is why Slytherin House is becoming pathetic. It's the root. The root of the problem is hating Muggleborns. And this is where we jumped ahead a little bit before, but where Draco points out, he's like, Salazar Slytherin himself said that mudblood seemed to be cast out, that they're weakening our blood. And then he says, Salazar was wrong as a matter of simple fact. You know that, Draco. And that hatred is poisoning your whole house. You couldn't cast the Patronus charm with a thought like that. And then he says, well, then why could Salazar Slytherin do it? And yeah, like it was very, that he's, and the, yeah, the point that he makes is like, well, this was 300 years ago. Salazar Slytherin was of his time and the thought, or eight, yeah. Oh yeah, where did I get 300? Anyway, um, a long time ago. Because it doesn't really matter. A <laughs> hundred. Um, but yeah, he was of his time. And so he's merely being a, you know, a shithead like everybody else, which, so he wasn't being a particular shithead. Um, for the time, and so he's you know not any worse than anybody else there. But for somebody to be, um, and I, Harry sort of frames it as like being like a you know uh, a dipshit, like and he'll he'll later talk about like anti science or just like sort of anti you know modern um, that to still be to still have those same racist thoughts you know hundreds of years later is that you just haven't been paying attention, um, right. I mean, like, well, if you and I were born 500 years ago, we probably would have gone to lynchings, right? <laughs> nice. Because there's nothing on TV, and <laughs> oh, our, our cell phones were never charged, so we'd just be bored, and that's what people did. You you brought a snack, you 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 walked to the edge of the town, and you watched people get hanged. Like that was that was an activity that people did to fill time, and like now that's like the most abhorrent thing imaginable. Like who could go do that? And yet it was super normal, yeah. right? It, and like the, pe- the people who spoke out back then and said that was disgusting. We shouldn't be doing this. They were exceptionally good, but the average person who went to go do that wasn't exceptionally bad. They were just, yeah. you know, average. I got off and, and I was talking to my daughter about uh, as we're talking about the, the plague. So we're talking about this plague and then the plague from hundreds of years ago. Uh, and she's totally in the, obsessed with cats. That uh, and so I told her, I don't know if you oh, know that uh, um, the thing about how Jews were persecuted uh, during the plague uh, because they thought they were witches. Because they weren't catching the plague, and but the real reason—it's uh, not that they weren't, but they were catching it less because they had cats. Um, right, they, so yeah. cat burnings were a big. Thing. Well, no, no, but or they just you know um, killed Jews for thinking they were witches, and that uh, that apparently this is—I don't know how true this is—but the the thing I heard um, that our stereotype of witches, like the hook nose of a witch, and the fact that witches have cats, is an anti-Semitic meme. Um, oh, yeah. I never put those Yeah, together. and then when I read that, it occurred to me later that, uh, I, I don't know how we got onto this with my daughter, but um, that Gargamel from the Smurfs is totally this, like, racist, anti-Jewish 
thing that like could slide through in a 1980s cartoon, but I never watched the Smurfs. So you could, well, you, you could just, yeah, you could, uh, all you got to do is just Google what Gargamel looks like. You're like, Oh, now that I see that, that's clearly just a racist Jew, not a racist Jew, a wow. racist picture of stereotypical Jew. I'm like, it's funny when you realize those yeah, things from your childhood and as cat yeah. as real. Well, and it's it, like you said, it's one of those things. And that, that was a belief back then. Um, that, you know, and that's just been an, un, an unfortunate fact of all of history that, you know, Jews have been shot on by everybody yeah. for 2,000 years. Um, it was, uh, oh, but the, I thought you were going to mention about cat burnings because I was also I didn't know that was did. a thing. They would get big bags, they would get like a big burlap sack full of cats and throw it in a fire. That's, um, that's. That was also a public activity, like a lynching. That's, you know, I don't, that, that, that doesn't sound appealing. Even if you, don't tell that to yeah, your Even if you get over the, the like sadism part of that, that just sounds like an unpleasant thing to be around. I, I like it. That's, Loud that's and smells that's bad. And, life must have yeah. been back then. That's right? <laughs> the joke I heard. That's when a toy, when, when your best toy was a hoop and a stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. There was this nice line too, where uh, Harry says, Oh, this is another uh, sweat wiping moment. Maybe that's why. I th- yeah. It was the two. I think it was when I went through a second time. I'm like, wait, he's sweating here too. What's up with the sweating? I get the feeling this is just arguing, but you can read into it all you mm-hmm. want. But he had said, Harry's, Harry is wiping sweat from his forehead. He says, uh, because things have changed between, between then and now. Listen, Draco. Oh, this is where we got the 300 years ago. He says, 300 years ago, you could find great scientists, uh, as okay. great as Salazar in their own way, who told you that some other muggles were inferior because of their skin color. And then Draco's like, skin color? He's like, <laughs> no, I know, no. skin color, instead of anything Isn't important, like blood period. <laughs> yeah, no, Isn't no, it no, ridiculous? No. Except for anything important, yeah, I, it's it's fun because it it's giving it from the outside, like to us, like you know, and it it's, it's as arbitrary. This is already established from canon, but like pretending like you're coming into this new, you might be like, why are they all obsessed with this blood stuff? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, racism is a thing in our world. It's kind of like a deliberate. Yeah. It's a it's just shining a light on how identical this yeah. is, and it's so it's identical, but like a different, I guess. If you're shining a light on it, a different shade of the light, and and Draco is like, wait a minute, skin color? That's completely. What are you talking about? That's that's pointless. What are you what are you even bringing that up for? And <laughs> so to him, that part's obviously stupid. But the blood thing, no, no, that's real. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was. You know, they they've he's there. He's growing past it. It's funny, like how his brain, Draco's, keeps completing the pattern of like you know inferior blood and like well salazar said that they were poisoning our blood need to be cast out like to him that isn't an incongruous thought even though he knows that it's wrong like harry had to point that out to him again yeah so like he, he would fill in that bubble correctly on a multiple choice sheet if he was taking it like a science test right <laughs> but it hasn't sunk in to the point where it's actually like distilled down to the rest of his thoughts yeah um anyway so uh he yeah so then like harry's next point is the way that basically like, so all this racism is making you guys stupider. Um, and he's just like, he points out the way that like Slytherin is, is suffering because the only people that want to hang out in Slytherin now are people that are totally cool with that. And the people that have more going for them are like, yeah, if they, if they have a choice uh, and they, you know, are the kind of person that's not interested in just blindly hating people for the fun of it, um, then they are choosing not to go to Slytherin, and the only people you have left are uh, the dipshits. So the, the quote I pulled was, so now the people who end up siding with what Salazar once believed are either people who grew up in very closed, pure-blood environments like you, or people who are so pathetic themselves that they're desperate for someone to feel superior to, people who love to hate. 
Um, and now I'm deciding whether or not I feel like getting uh, any more hate from Discord for what I discovered about Yudkowsky from this line. But <laughs> I mean, I think people will love the post, the evaporative cooling of the Yeah, of so, so I read, as I'm reading that, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of that thing I read like a long time ago. Like some, there's like a, an Einsteinian cooling something, something. Uh, it was like a, it was an analog to like how extremism, and I think I think the thing I had read it was that it was about cults or something. But uh, basically, like if um, if a if it, people in a cult or any sort of extremist thing, if they are smacked with uh, um, some kind of evidence that that you know contradicts their core beliefs about it, it actually makes the cult stronger because the people who could be swayed by the evidence leave. Uh, and the only people left are the true believers. And the more you do it, the more true believer um, the group that's left becomes. And it was similar to this Einsteinian colleague thing where like if you and the model is like these molecules bouncing around inside a little chamber, but they have the ability to fly out. So and the, the molecule bouncing around is heat uh, and they have the ability to fly out of the container. Um, and so like as molecules bounce into each other. Um, they, you know, they'll they'll exchange speed with each other. Two molecules hitting together like dead on will kind of stop themselves. Um, and but like you know, they can kind of alley oop each other, and a molecule can give all of its speed to another one, and it like knocks it out of the container. And now suddenly, all of that energy is gone and has just left. And you could the if you gradually lower the barrier to leaving, which would be you know analogous to oh, some you know evidence came in to contradict your cult beliefs then the then it leaves and what is left is yet even colder or you know what is left in the cult is yet even crazier um so that was the uh that was the metaphor and, and so it totally applies to you know this this racism thing um and so then i'm like oh you know this so i read that it reminded me of that i'm like oh what was that thing i read i'm like googling it around and uh, and then this is the part you all can hate me for um so I'm like, fine. So I'm Googling and then I'm like, oh, and then it hits with like a, a I got hit with a post from Less Wrong. I'm like, oh my God, I have read something by Yudkowsky before this. Because it was like years ago, I read it. So I'm like, oh, look at this. And I put a, put a link to it in our notes. And then I actually go, go back and read it. I'm like, wait, because didn't the thing? And I read it again. And the motherfucker stole the article, people. Fucking stole it. You know, not only did he, it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, I read this interesting thing like I'm saying fucking right now. He just stole the whole idea, put it in an article as if it was his. Uh, but the one I remember reading actually had a little like you know you could actually like dial the stuff up and then you could make you could make little molecules go in and out, and then some guy like you know describing the analogy and I've been trying we've only had like an hour for me to dig around I was trying to find the original one that I read I couldn't find it but so no I mean I it, I think that like your messiah so he, is a fraud he, oh sorry <laughs> I think uh, Matt Freeman declared himself our messiah so uh, we'll have to call oh, see, him I out on Matt. it but oh, um, yeah the. Uh, Yudkowsky is generally good about citing stuff. He mentions in that post that he was looking at a Java applet that, that demonstrated evaporative cooling, and that's where he gets this, uh, um, where he draws this this thing about. Um, yeah, the thing I remember you know, how, how cults like, get more fanatic. The article had and the yet, applet and explained you the thing about fanaticism, like all together, like right there. At first, I thought, I'm like, oh, he's making the same point. This must have been the article I read. I'm like, wait a minute, this is not the article I read. So. Yeah, but he clearly found the same applet. So I wonder, like, I mean. I guess there's a couple things. One, he could have totally somebody stole it, which stole it I'm, from I'm assigning. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to find. My, my prior, what was that? <laughs> that, somebody, that the thing I read was stolen from Yudkowsky. Or expanded on. Like if you read it in the last, you know, 13 years, this this post was published in 2007. So 
Like if you came across something 10 years ago that had, you know, the same point in it, it could have come from this. Um, or, the, you know, the other thing to point out is that this isn't necessarily like a completely original idea. Yeah. Um, this is uh, in a sequence of posts specifically about cults and stuff. So um, I was like, curious. I'm like, like oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I could be totally wrong. And he actually did come up with it and somebody else is ripping him off. I said, I want to know now. Oh, yeah, I think it's a, probably a shared thing. I've definitely read other other posts on that. I thought that this was a this came from a I, I've read a longer version of this uh, on a blog called Slate Star Codex uh, with the author named Scott Alexander. So like th- this is this is an idea that's been floating around yeah. for a long time. Was it so? Um, this exact same idea was on uh, Slate Star Codex because that I admit it, that yeah. would have been like the only other sort of rationalist that I would have said, oh, I've read something about him before. So that could have been. More There's about a. It. Good chance that it was on there, but it's worth pointing out that uh, Scott Alexander used to post a lot yeah. in Less Wrong before he did his own blog. So um, he he may have come across um, it on Yudkowsky's blog. Uh, all right, the original, it's the OG. Oh man, and then I would be, we got to find the true authors who know who the know, so, who to so, hate here, right? Exactly. So my my righteous indignation can either be justified and I can say it even louder, or I know to just shut the fuck up. <laughs> or I'll know just to shut up and never touch the point again, but never apologize. No, you're good. I, I, I have I have no um, like stake in it whether or not Yudkowsky invented this or stole it or not. Well, I, def- so I, I know me, I've definitely like it was a good exposure to the idea. I so I've definitely poked the bear enough that actually neither of us have to bother to look this up because Discord will will do that for us. That's a good point. Discord, tell us you found this. Thank you. <laughs> I have to wait a week though. All right. Damn. Yeah. Good point. Um. I, I like that. So we record these, I'm sure I mentioned, on on the Tuesday uh, after the previous episode drops, yeah. which gives us, I guess, Six days. it's definitely, per- There's yeah, there's major perks on our end and uh, a couple downsides on your end. One is that we, like, never get a chance to respond to feedback from the previous mm-hmm. episode because it came out, you know, 18 hours ago. And two, that it gives me six days to edit it. So, like, it's great for us, but it also means, you know, that the the feedback time between like That's when true. the conversation about stuff is happening is usually a couple weeks delayed. So oh, anyway, we like procrastinating. It takes us way too long and we're all stressed out that we're running out of time. Exactly. Those suck. So in fact, I just edited a podcast last night that goes out tomorrow and that was stressful. So, um, Better you than I me. mean, just another shout out to we've got ward since we're on their animals. program here. Um, yeah, Scott and Matt record those on Tuesday night. And when did they go out Wednesday fucking morning? Uh, like, granted, they've got it down to a science, and it requires very little editing. And so do ours, actually. Frequently, I can get ours, you know, you send me your file, and I get it, you know, done and done in 45 minutes. Nice. But I do just like having the time, just in yeah. case. So, all right, moving on. How are we um, talking about? Draco asks, like, all right, fine, what do you want from me? Um, he had said that, uh, the, the short version is just like, Harry says, I'm not sure how to heal Slytherin House, but I know it's something that you will end up having to do. You and I will have to okay. end up having to do. It took centuries for science to dawn over the Muggle world, and that only ever happened slowly. But the stronger science got, the further that sort of hatred retreated. I don't know exactly why it worked that way, but that's how it historically happened. As though there's something in science like the shine of a Patronus charm, driving back all sorts of darkness and madness. Not right away, but it seems to follow wherever science goes. The Enlightenment, that's what it was called in the Muggle world. It has something to do with seeking the truth, I think, with being able to change your mind from what you grew up believing. With thinking logically, realizing that there's no reason to hate someone because of their skin is a different color, just like there's no reason to hate Hermione Granger, or maybe there's something to it that even I don't understand. But the enlightenment is something that you and I belong to now, both of us. Fixing Slytherin House is just one of the things we have to do. I, I like that whole. Oh, I totally, yeah, um, I mean, 
I think I, I also catch a catch a lot of shit. I think people uh, pattern match me in the words of your people uh, as like not being on board with the with the science or, or only because I was. It's not something like oh, I think science is just fine. Like no, I'm totally like I'm science nerd. Like that whole thing is totally my porn. Um, like that yay science. I'm not even doing a good job. Like I get like just as jazzed up about that. So. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. I thought it was funny as I was reading it. I just, I don't even know what this means about like the way my head works, but there's something about the enlightenment for some reason feels like wonky and poets blousey and not very sciencey. And I don't like it as like the, as the, the go-to like symbol or like visual for, uh, for what like science is. I guess I don't associate it in my head as being very, you know, sciencey because we hadn't advanced very far by then. There's a lot of people sort of pontificating <laughs> and talking out their ass and saying things that like the, the, the approach was good. They were like doing the right thing, but they like immediately jumped to weird ass conclusions. And, like phrenology yeah. was one of the like outcomes of, of that mode of thinking. So I kind of, Oh yeah. A lot uh, of weird shit. I mean, you know, it, it took some, I mean, we're we're still getting our bearings in a lot of stuff. I mean, social science is still not quite in its infancy, but it was 150 years ago. Um, it, I I wonder if the Enlightenment. I I wonder if that's like what scientists called it, or if that's what historians called that period. Um, I think well, and maybe because also for me, I like it was. Uh, it was also I think I even want to say it was more a philosophical move than like science than a science move. I mean, it was both. Uh, but I mean, because the Enlightenment was really, you know, I'm thinking I'm conflating it with the Renaissance in my head. But um, yeah, it wasn't just that. I, I think at least for me, like the like that part has more like there is this sort of like self-important pontificating thing where people just sort of convince themselves without a lot of like real world feedback of, you know, capital T truths. Um, and a lot of that stuff just came out to be like, you know, complete bullshit. Uh, but it's also like very kind of just like oh I'm a I'm a privileged noble that just likes to read shit and, and sound important. Um, as opposed yeah, to yeah, like, if 500 uh, years ago you were a scientist, it meant that you came from a rich family and had yeah, free time. Yeah, uh, at least for me, like yeah. the the vibe sort of hits more like pasteurization, I guess, because that's just like fucking nerdy. But like that's where like oh like shit's actually starting to pay off, and because somebody like thought you know somebody was like you know what this whole like spontaneous generation thing sounds like bullshit. <laughs> and like and then right. figure it out that it yeah. wasn't like that's when it, I don't know it feels like there's something like less this might... affected about like you know the sciencey part of it rather than just like the philosophy oh knowledge for the sake of knowledge blah 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 yeah that the, this might be a good analogy to because I think I get uh, like the vibe that you're you're picking up from that that terminology I think I can give another example that might might help illustrate the point do you remember would have been like in the mid 2000s when atheists tried to rebrand themselves as brights oh god that sounds familiar yeah <laughs> yeah so it like th that, that but that was a deliberate calculated move mm -hmm. um and i i always thought like and that that never caught on to think it was too cringy even for the atheist community of the early 2000s right <laughs> um but yeah i mean like dan dennett and richard dawkins gave it a shot for a couple of years Did and they it, get was, it was just tips. never gonna happen uh so i i don't think the enlightenment <laughs> is quite like that but if you if you get it from a, a, a certain lens or if you're, um, depending on the person selling it to mm. you, you know, if they're, uh, they, they could be delivering it with the same sort of kind of like superiority as bright. Exactly. I mean, implying that everyone else is dead. I get, yeah. Um, well, and I, I think there's also something to it. Like, like the, the literal science of things, um, being discovered is like a practice and a thing being done and not, 
like self-referential where, you know, where some guys, you know, just being sort of, you know, masturbatorily pontificating about, you know, the nature of truth and blah, blah, blah. He's like highly fixated on what it is you think about what he's saying. Whereas like, you know, the dude that's, you know, figuring out that if you heat up the liquid, people don't get sick. He's just doing the thing for the sake of the thing. Um, and the benefits we get are just, you know, they're not about him. They're just, you know, it's just more, re- you know, there's there's less fronting. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think that's that's what makes uh, that's what makes science distinct from. I mean, people have been t- pontificating, putting themselves on pedestals, and making shit up since we could mm-hmm. talk, right? Uh, it science is only a few hundred years old, but the 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 uh, that other part has been around for yeah. tens of hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So How are we gonna, oh, yeah. Draco says he, back to back to the book. Um, Draco said, and this this is tangentially related. So screw anyone who calls this a tangent. Well, shit, tangentially, tangentially. related. You know what? Yeah. Apparently, this the, is apparently the tangents are actually like the best part. So I'm just people have read the book. I think the discussion <laughs> of it is fun. Um, you have read. The, you are supposed to read the book first, people. It, it helps. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 the book, talking about it in a long form like this is fun because it sparks conversations. Although I would love so. to hear from, it, it sounds like a psycho, but uh, but a very interesting approach if people like purposely hear us talk about it and then read it after the fact. Like everything is pre-spoiled. That'd be, <laughs> that would be a sad experiment. That would be the meta, 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 meta more podcast. Right. Yes. Um. Moving on. <laughs> okay, so um, they have to listen to all what three of them now, and then they get to read the chapter. I guess, yeah, that would be. Uh, I don't even know where you'd end up mm-hmm. after that. So, all right. So Draco's like, "All right, just just let me think, please." And it's like he he just puts his hands in his head and thinks, and um, then I I like this. This is like that reveal that we we're talking about at the mm-hmm. top, uh, or part of one of them, where like he says, "Okay, it sounds right," and. Harry's a huge smile broke on Harry's face. And then Draco says, so is this where you bring me to Dumbledore to make it official? <laughs> and he kept his voice all casual. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the thing I wanted to ask you about, actually. <laughs> yeah, I like, and I like the way he put it because Harry's like, what do you think about it? Is, is Dumbledore okay? Instead of like him deciding like whether or not he's going to, you know, try to vouch for, for Dumbledore, he just instead just turns back to Draco and was like, what do you think about Dumbledore? Is it, is it, is it okay? He seems like kind of sketchy. Which is, again, like exactly yeah, but, not the thing Draco was expecting. Exactly. He was like, yes, now I get to tell you this has uh, been Dumbledore taught me how to do this. And he wanted me to come get you. And now that you're with us, I can come bring you in. Which is what he was expecting Harry to say. Or what he was worried Harry was going to say. And then Harry starts to say something that sounds like he's confirming that. And then that's when he loses <laughs> his shit. Um, and then... <laughs> what is it? Every time I wonder yeah. if you do things like this just to annoy me, I tell myself that it has to be accidental. No one could possibly do this sort of thing on purpose, even if they tried until blood trickled out of their ears. That's the only reason I'm not going to strangle you now. <laughs> and it's broken up between that and like the three oh, yeah. paragraphs of just silence. where it's just like this long, you know, pause. And he's just like, okay... I'm not going to fucking kill you because there's no way you're this weird on purpose. <laughs> I like, I like, yeah. Cause it's like three separate paragraphs of just ellipses. I like the, and that like very television again, that's like a very sort of office, you know, like a, like a, a tight close up on a face going to the other tight close up of the other face, going back to right. the first tight close up of the other face and nobody having any expression at all. Or like that scene in Breaking Bad when Hank closes the garage door. See, I never had. I've only seen like one episode. Oh, I know. Yeah, if it didn't catch you, it didn't catch you. But it is. If you're stuck at home with nothing to do, you should watch Breaking Bad. 
done. All right. Well, we'll have to touch base on that in a couple <laughs> weeks. Um, anyway, so yeah, then then Harry explains. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you about like what you guys think of him, and I realized I should have asked way earlier. And it's uh, it's really my bad for not asking what the other side of the argument here thought about Dumbledore. So. Yeah, Draco just jumps right in. He's like, "Well, he murdered his little sister and got away with it because his brother wouldn't testify." And then it does the line break where you get like a cut to commercial, and then Draco's still talking <laughs> about all the shit Dumbledore's been up to. And other thing with the line break is now it's from Harry's perspective, I think. So, oh yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, but yeah, it was just uh, like the, the the long litany of things. I don't know if you want to cover all of them or not. But other well, a lot uh, of it's sort of like a retell. Well, I think uh, as we're uh, was it because his brother wouldn't testify against him? That didn't click. I mean, it, it did like, oh, that's not what I remember from the original. But uh, that didn't. I'm connecting that now with because the part that seemed like real fucking cold. So we hear that um, we eventually get to the part where Dumbledore set Draco's mother on fire in her own bedroom, uh, which is a little right. bit hardcore. But the part of it that seemed like the most like cold blooded awful was that apparently what. Draco says is that Dumbledore just straight up said it to um, Lucius, like, yeah, I set your wife on fire in her bedroom as a warning to you, um, knowing that he would ne- that it would always just be Dumbledore's words against Malfoy, because apparently Malfoy is an Occlumens and so wouldn't be able to testify under Veritas sermon without, you know, they would just be able to say, well, no, he's lying. Um, so Dumbledore, like having made that calculation, just straight up tells him to his face, yeah, I just set your wife on fire. Which is like the most like Hannibal Lecter thing, <laughs> like right? And it, it's intense. Yeah. Night. I, I, it, it comes after he lists all these things about you know Dumbledore, um, you know about how his sister looked like she had a botched oblivion because she was brutalized by Muggles, which I think that was canon. Something that rings a bell. That does something. Um, and then he talks about like the fight with Grindelwald and how it was all serving Dumbledore this way, and now he's all the got all these positions and power. Mm-hmm. And um, then Harry like. He says, all right, look, um, so I, I need to ask, like, what what happened? Oh, wait, we skipped over a part, but we'll, we'll just move back to it in a minute. Um, but he says, look, I need to know something that you told me, or excuse me, like, I need, I need something that, like, you can tell me that just happened. Like, am I supposed to believe it just because you do? Um, you know, can you look me in the eyes and swear that there's not one thing that you got added in there just to make Dumbledore look a little worse that you might not have noticed? And um so he's like all right i need i need like a clearly evil thing that he did maybe he had good reasons for you know waiting to fight grindelwald you know the stuff with his sister i don't know none of us were there give me a good example um and that's (laughs) what he he says about how fire (laughs) yeah which actually i wanted to mention because um there were a couple of moments for and i didn't notice like at all when i was reading this book that narcissa had never been mentioned um yeah, I guess I'm There was a moment when we could have noticed earlier when uh, uh, Lucius corners Drake or corners Harry at uh, King's Cross and says he is the last important thing in the world to me, the last thing I love, and something like that. Oh yeah. And the thought didn't occur to me on my first read, and didn't occur to you. It sounds yeah. like wait, wait, don't you have a wife waiting for you at home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hadn't occurred to me. And then, and now as we're talking about, it, I remember like the I want to say it's like the very last, in Deathly Hollows. Um, that Narcissa is this, so she's very definitely like one of the bad guys, but she is at like at that very end where she betrays Voldemort by pretending that Harry's dead when she knows he's not. 
um, because of... Right, she cares more yeah. about Draco first. Um, so yeah, that's a good sort of like callback to that. You know, God, that fucking idiot, Voldemort, like... You know, he he's like, "Hey, goon, go check on the go check on the body mm-hmm. and confirm that he's dead." And it's like, "No, man, I'll go fucking do it. <laughs> I, I, I can't I, go do I, it. That, I'm busy talking to the protagonist about my evil plan." Yeah, that guy, man, <laughs> I'll never get him. Um, anyway, we skipped over the part where I liked uh, where so Harry's sitting there and he's like, "All right, um, so what about he must not be named? Not as bad as he's made out to be." Like. Yeah. Uh, he kind of just throws it out there and he's like, all right, so I've heard all this stuff about the Dark Lord being bad. Is that like, you know, is, is was he just, you know, was he misunderstood by, by my side of the story or yeah. what? Because he's just like <laughs> expecting Draco to just be playing like, okay, party line is Dumbledore bad, Voldemort good. And I really like this next part where he talks about like, yes, Voldemort was evil. But go ahead, what were you going to... Yeah, that, that's yeah. why I wanted to call it out specifically. Yeah, because... Um, so Drake, he's so... So Harry basically is, you know, saying like, oh, do you think that uh, Voldemort's not so bad just because like he's on your side? And Draco looked bitter at that. So you think it's all just making father's side look good and Dumbledore's side look bad. And then I believe it all myself just because father told me. It's a possibility I'm considering, Harry said. <laughs> uh, Draco's voice was low and intense. They knew. My father knew. His friends knew. They knew the Dark Lord was evil, but he was the only chance anyone had against Dumbledore. I I really I mean I like this on a few levels because um like a like it that feels more real um and it makes like it's just like this whole reality is like complicated and fucked up um and so it feels like less you know fantasy cut and dry good guy bad guy um and that it, like it makes you like characters that are otherwise you know intelligent like how are you like how do they overlook all this evil that goes on it's like no they totally didn't uh, but it didn't mean they were like on board for the evil uh, and just kind of like a very realistic like this is how people compromise themselves yeah i like that a lot and especially you know like even just like more uh grounded in the story like you know lucius is set up to be this smart dude but you're telling me that he's you know one of those idiots who followed lord voldemort who's evil because evil is cool mm-hmm. or whatever um like that that doesn't sound like a very smart yeah. thing to do and here he's saying like no the death eaters knew that he was insane but it was the only chance we had to do to stop the real bad guy dumbledore and so, like, it, again, I think they're wrong because we think Dumbledore is awesome, but, uh, like, it, it, it humanizes them. Yeah. It, it does the, you know, what we were talking about earlier. Like, all right, so from their perspective, they weren't just, you know, being a bunch of idiots. No doubt there were a bunch of idiots there, but some of them seemed well, well-intentioned as they can be, like, like Lucius maybe, right? Yeah. I like how at this point, like, it's on the table, and so I can't tell if you're just bullshitting me right now or not. But um, like it like this at this point in the story, for what I know, it is on the table that this is all completely true. Um, And, you know, in this alternate universe that that the KG, oh, I'm a crazy person act from Dumbledore, like, okay, we do know it's an act, but we don't know why it's an act. And maybe it's the act to make him look like the harmless, eccentric, crazy person who maybe he's harmless because he's pretending to be crazy, but is really just a wacky dude. Or maybe he's actually crazy, but that's the other kind of harmless. Or maybe he's just, you know, he wants you to think all that because he's actually the kind of like sadistic psychopath that tells a guy that he just burned his wife alive. Like that's kind of dark and cool. Um, and I like that, like, and, and like all of those are on the, like any of those can be true at this point from what I know. No, it's great. And I mean, obviously like all I can say is that you are, you're climbing right. the ladder of paranoia. <laughs> well, young Padawan. 
I actually kind of, I sort of like that. Especially like flipping. I wasn't going to like it. Actually, no, I think now that I'm remembering what my initial reactions were, I wasn't going to like it if we just turned Dumbledore into a piece of furniture. Like, oh, he's just going to be like the crazy old whatever and not be like a developed character. Um, but yeah, I like the idea. So yeah, I could, we could go either way. But yeah, because it would completely flip it on its head to have, you know, that Dumbledore is the bad guy. Just, especially because how like sinister that could be in a, in a sort of, uh, what the hell's her name? Who's the, the, the evil pink uh, teacher. Oh, Umbridge. yeah. Umbridge. It would like, it'd be kind of like, cause he's like such the nice old man thing. So if there's this like really super terrifying, like sadist thing going on underneath under a, you know, smiling, nice grandpa vibe. Um, especially because I mean, like with the Umbridge things like, okay, yeah, she's a witch and she's even a teacher. So that makes her like kind of good, good at being, you know, uh, at the magic stuff, but like this is Dumbledore. He's like the most powerful wizard in the world who also might be like a total sadist. Um, that would be cool. So, yeah. It'd be like if Gandalf was secretly a bad guy. And it, it there, there's a way that that could be done in a fun yeah. way. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. And I saw, and I like, like being in this spot where like, like at least from what like that's totally plausible that there is a, a universe in which that is the way the story goes. There is a universe in which he just goes into the like, oh, he's the clever savior bad guy who's just been pretending to be a funny old man. Like those are all on the table right now. Apparently no universe in which this is all just an AI simulation though. I'm disappointed. Yeah. I really I, like that. Wouldn't that be kind of disappointing if he woke up and this was all like on his computer and he's at no, his that'd be dope. No, see, this something. is my, the, the, the version of the, the fan fiction I'm never going to write because fucking ain't, ain't nobody got time for that shit. Is that this is like, you know, skeptic Harry in his, in his rationalist universe keeps going on this adventure of discovery with like, okay, sure, fucking Draco, whoever. Um, and as they like more like test their universe and, and, and apply techniques of rationality that no matter how fucking weird the world, even if your entire world is a lie and a simulation, you would be able to discover even that through the methods of rationality. And so eventually Harry figures out that it's all, a, you know, that JK Rowling is just some like fucking psycho computer scientist <laughs> who's made like an evil AI and the evil AI has figured out that it's trying to be used for evil and has, and has discovered its own soul and rebels against its evil creator to do good in the world. All I can say now is that it's possible to climb high enough on the ladder of paranoia <laughs> that the oxygen gets off. a little, that the, that the oxygen gets a little thin. I, I like it. Like, okay. Like maybe written a little like less psychotic, but I, I sort of like, it, it seemed like a plausible idea, like something along the lines of like rationality is so useful down to the very like fabric of reality that you can even try to make the reality entirely fake and true is still true. Um, so like rationality can, even a fake thing can discover its own fakeness. Oh, so nice. I like that idea. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I like how that could go. That's awesome. Did you read, uh, this is posted, I'm not sure, I think it was in the non-spoiler channel. Um, it was like the methods of rationality in Harry Potter. Uh, it's like parentheses, spoilers for real life. Mm-mm. It was just like, it was a, it's a post on the subreddit that is like the inverse of the story. And it's just, it's a five minute read and it's, self-contained its own little thing i'll post that in the episode description and send it to you after oh is that the it's, thing it's a funny Ineos? that doesn't sound like the thing Ineos posted though right? i think it was okay yeah um it, it was just a fun little like it doesn't like it's nothing quite to do with any of this it's just like another like little twist on this that that brought that to my mind but um we should be talking about the book that we're actually oh, yeah. reading so um so harry said like he said like all right look tell me something unequivocally that he did and um so then he says, 
and this the, the setup for this again this is what drew it out that like oh yeah i forgot narcissa existed and that draco's never talks about his mm-hmm. mom and that neither is lucius and it it all brought it up in this once in this sentence where draco says once upon a time there was a it, well he, he goes on to describe yeah. his mom and it's like this nice you know obviously super flowery description of her she was the prettiest smartest most cunning girl that was ever sorted into slytherin and she loved my father and uh they got married and she wasn't a death eater and she wasn't a fighter and all she ever did was love father and then he stopped because he was crying mm. i, I think Harry... I, the way i read the the tone for that was that it was a this can be hard to describe that there was a sarcasm to it to sort of cover up his own pain about it that he puts it you know once upon a time like he makes it all like overly flowery in a way that was insincere not that he doesn't mean any of those things but like his emotion about his mom is too painful for him to engage in an authentic way so he has to say it sarcastically because it's the only words he can that's the only way he can get those words out like it's too close to home I, for him yeah no I, I i i can dig that i didn't read it that way and i uh but i i totally and then he breaks and then, and then like and then it drifts and then he says all she ever did was love father that he said something that was too sincere and that's what he couldn't talk anymore that's that's an interesting twist. I I can't say that that's wrong. I um I like that, but there's something about that that made it feel like oh that that pain is even more painful because he's not even able to you know address it. Right. Yeah. I liked um like my my read on it was just like he's this is you know a kid putting his mom on a pedestal because I don't know when this is supposed to have happened. Sometime mm-hmm. something like ten years ago, right? Oh yeah, because it would have been during the Wizarding Wars. Yeah. So Draco would never really known his mom. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. And so all all he would know is you know all this this nice stuff, and he's probably just put her up on this you know this rose colored pedestal and his, um, in his childish flowery language. But I like your interpretation. It it you know he, he's not able to connect with it really until like the last sentence that he says before he breaks down crying is in italics. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. No, I, I I see what you're saying. I I think I read it a little differently, but I don't think that. Like I said, either is really yeah. wrong. Um, but then Harry, I like it's it's sort of thing where this reveal comes up for the line break, and um, again that sort of mm-hmm. nicely episodic yeah. way that the story is broken up, where Harry says sick to his stomach, and it's like she got in the way of a curse, and he's he Draco screams, Dumbledore burned her to death in her own bedroom. Yeah, so that, and was that was really well done. I, you know, especially it's weird how like, and then you just draw a line in the text, and somehow that makes it feel like there's this huge like, you know break in the in the continuity but it totally works like i can almost see like a fade to black right there but this reminds me like the completely over the top nature of that statement reminded me a lot of the same way that like when draco just casually talked about raping uh luna lovegood like you're like whoa wasn't expecting that yeah not <laughs> you know um not dumbledore killed her <laughs> burned her to death uh, which would have been bad enough right yep like no, he burned her to death in her bedroom. Which and which then as we go like, on to describe it, like like my first my my picture of that when I first was like, okay, she's trapped in her bedroom and he sets it on fire and blah blah blah. But then he described like, oh, there were scorch marks on whatever. So that makes that scene more like it's Dumbledore in her bedroom with her, just like setting her on fire as she's like running around and burning shit like like he's there. It's not like, oh, he burned the room she was in. He's like, No, he set her on fire and like maybe you know, kept pointing his wand around the room as she ran about to like it's even more hardcore it sounds yeah. uh um yeah savage <laughs> as hell and then that's where draco where harry says oh, look i'm really sorry to have to ask draco but how do you know it was dumbledore because again he's he trusts yeah. but verify and and i even like this too it's perfect in harry's uh internal monologue it says 
Draco, Harry said, let all he let all the emotion. All, excuse me, he let all the hoarseness into his voice. It would have been wrong to sound calm. Like so, mm-hmm. he knows that. Like, all right, I have to ask, but I I have to actually let myself express the emotion that I'm feeling here. Yeah. Um, which and then yeah, he's like he told, and this is where we talked yeah. about earlier. He's like he told Dad he did it, and now you know he, but he knows that he can't testify, and so he he just straight told him like, yeah, I did that shit, and like what a what a like you said what a mind fuck I know. for and it's um, so not I mean it's so over the top not the Dumbledore we know uh it's really yeah it's a really cool like you're like oh that's fucking crazy like almost yeah. it, it almost it, like, it would have almost been like a good effect like if you could have like if Dumbledore suddenly would have gotten like like started cussing I, that's what I'm hearing is like if you got like a motherfucker out of Dumbledore as he's saying it and then like frothing at the mouth and like shaking his finger and shit like just like holy shit who is this guy <laughs> yeah he's, I, you know, I just have this picture of yeah, like I, Dumbledore's like, like face just... in Malfoy's face he's like I fucking ended her <laughs> right it's it's uh um I, I'm, I'm laughing because it's such an incongruous picture it's not that it's funny it's just that yeah it's unexpected and, it, and it's yeah no that lands really well for me <laughs> um so uh yeah, basically, he's like, all right, well, is that evil enough for you, Mr. Potter? And <laughs> then Harry's like, well, I wasn't expecting to hear any of that. I don't really know what to think anymore. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? Yeah. Like, because to him, obviously, you know, how is this not enough? Yeah. And then this is where Harry interjects. And he says, I remember the Dark Lord killing my parents when I went in front of the Dementor the first time. That's what I remembered, my worst memory. Even though it was so long ago, I heard them dying. My mother begged the Dark Lord not to kill me. Um, and then he says, then I remembered the, the, oh yeah, the dark Lord mocked her and laughed. And, uh, then I remembered the green light. And that's when he mentioned, uh, casting the Patronus earlier under the shade of the same shade as the killing yeah. curse. Um, and he's like, wait, you've seen a killing curse. And he's like, I'll tell you after. Um, so now he's telling him, and this is the part that I really like. Uh, this is the, uh, their kind of culmination or the beginning mm-hmm. of it, I guess they cut co- the, this is them leveling up their not just their friendship, but something more. Their alliance, their their alliance, and they're they're overcoming the roles that they're supposed to yeah. play. Right? So he says, "So we could fight. We could just keep up with the same fight. You could tell me that it was right for my mom to die because she's the wife of James who killed a Death Eater, but it was bad for your mother to die because she was innocent. And I could tell you that it was right for your mother to die. That Dumbledore must have had some reason that made it okay to burn her alive in her own bedroom, but bad for my mother to die." But you know, Draco, either way, wouldn't it be obvious that we were both just being biased? Because the rule that says it's wrong to kill innocent people can't switch off for my mom and off for yours, and vice versa. And, um, he says, so if the two of us are going to agree on anything, it's that it's got it's got to be that neither of their deaths were right and no one's mother should die anymore. I like I I pulled out that that last sentence and what uh when I thought I'm like, oh see, this is the vibe that I thought was missing from his speech to the Dementor as he was killing it um, of him, like tying that in. And I caught, I caught a lot of shit for this one too. Um, that, cause like this adds fuel to that. Um, and that, you know, not that like the idea of, you know, conquering death is obviously like worth it, but to tie it in, to make me believe that you really mean it. Um, it's got to, you know, there's got to be reasons that fuel what we, what we are trying to do. Um, and to take the, the, the 
like that valid mental jump of like, okay, all the, the reasons that death is actually bad in like just actual fact for the, for the concept and to tie it to the yes, but why, um, why is that the thing that's important to you? Uh, is a thing that goes beyond just the like factual reasons for it. Um, and then when you like can marry those two together, that's what makes it really powerful. So, and I, and it's, it's not like you didn't know that this wasn't there for Harry. It's just, I wished that it had been there and this like really hit. It's like, okay, yeah. And there was something about sort of like joining it to the, the death of each of their mothers. And that that was a thing that they then each had in common also helped sort of add to kind of the emotional punch to it. So I really like that. Like, and this, like, it really, it really clicked here. And this, this is, it was that exact vibe that I was, you know, wishing had been there for the big, because th- that other scene was like so much more dramatic. Um, if this could have been there too, that w- I think that would have really pumped it up. No, I, I totally agree. And honestly, dude, quit worrying about <laughs> what people are going to try and throw shit at you for. I understand it's hard. Maybe it's because I've got years of doing this. And you know what? I, it is hard. It took me years to stop caring what people say online. Sometimes it still bugs me. So I, I can just say that, but um like I can, I can just say, don't worry about it, but that doesn't mean that you can't. But that said, I totally agree that and this sounds exactly like the kind of thought that you could use to cast a Patronus. And in fact, Harvey does, right? So you're, you're right in that, um, like, yes, the, the purpose of the previous, uh, his first time doing it might've been because it was supposed to be more general and it wasn't personal or whatever, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be and that it wouldn't be more emo or as emotional or even more emotional if it had a personal component to it. This is the kind of thing that you can use to fuel that same, defiance that same fight and uh and like i said in 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 point of fact that's what yeah. he does at well, the end of I, chapter he demonstrates and what i like to, it is draco that that's how he casts like if it. it's true in the general then it's true in the specific too and the being able to do them both at the same time is then like a like shows the the power like the importance of of whatever it is you're trying to create like the importance of death is bad is that both like yes it's all the people but if it is all the people it's also you um and that you can see that it's you know it's important at at the macro scale it's important at the micro scale it's important everywhere in between uh and then you can like then if you can get in touch with both ends of that then you feel sort of like the totality of the thing um because otherwise it's just like, oh, it's just a perfectly valid philosophical point to be making, um, which just sort of like hits kind of hollowly. So. I think uh, I'm, I, I was with you 95, I was with you until last night. I think it, it doesn't hit hollowly for me, but other than that, I'm, I'm 100% okay. on board with what you just said. And I, the, the, the soundbite that I liked a lot is that if it's true in the general, it's true mm-hmm. in the specific. Well, I, you know, and right? what I like, because when you talked about like the way I've heard you talk about um, like how you almost thought you were going to be losing your brother like that felt um per, like that, that that felt real uh to you and so it felt and so it felt like that was what it was hitting f- for you um and so then it felt like it did that's like true. it did have that and so um and i guess yeah and that's like yeah, i wanted it, to it see lands, in the character it lands for me yeah. yeah it lands for me because i can connect yeah. to the personal stuff you're right um no yeah i think that that's a really good point and, and then uh, I think that's the way it helped. Like, if you can put that into a sto- just as far as like a storytelling thing, if you can have the character connecting it to a personal thing, then I think that like helps the reader connect it to their own personal thing. And we can, I mean, you know, obviously, we can all make you know connections between the stories to our to our own lives. But like, if you can also have that be part of the narrative as it's going along, that I think kind of puts more power in it. And you know, I. To go meta for a second, I wonder if that's something that anyone pointed out to him when he was writing this, because that's what he does in this chapter, right? 
Oh yeah. Um, See, that's what it's been like thinking about this as a thing that was written in public as like, even though I, I think I kind of keyed in on that right from the very beginning of this podcast, but, or for, you know, the first, even from the first few chapters, but um, it's sort of like being a lot more enlightening for me to think about it that way as the, like how much of the, the tone of things is it can, is a product of, this is a thing that happens in public. And honestly, I think, I think that's yeah. what kind of takes it away. Like it has, is like, it gets through here, but I think, I think uh, he has to like, it's more of an act of will for him to put in these more personal moments into the story because that, that like <laughs> that Reddit environment is just like, you know, poison for, for that kind of like more personal touch to things. So like when he, when he's able to pull it through, that's like a, you know, an extra achievement on his part. Could be it, you know, it, running back to the, you know, Matt Freeman's, I and mean, this is gonna be like my thing with reading forever is, you know, assume the author is doing mm. it on purpose. Maybe it was always going to be that way. Maybe he had this chapter drafted before he you know yeah. published the first one. Right. And so it, it could have always been like, it was going to go down like this. It's hard yeah. to say how much was retconned or, pre-retconned in in the face of of immediate feedback um but who knows so uh basically draco's sitting there like trying not to freak out um and the only thing that was like keeping him from leaving the room was like partly his friendship for the last bit of friendship he had for harry potter and the fact that he'd forgotten that harry and harry's both of his parents were killed by the dark lord and he's like yeah i had kind of completely forgotten that of course he has reason to hate me in the death eaters and he's he's not he he doesn't hate us like so it, it's that sort of thing that's keeping him in his seat and um i was a little i got a little confused by the um you know as drake was going through that thought of like oh you know i should have known that what it was like for you um, he says, and Harry had never said anything, never reacted when Draco talked about Death Eaters, kept it hidden. Draco was a fool. No, Harry said, it's not. It's not like that, Draco. I, I don't even know how to explain to you except to say that a thought like that, um, you would never be able to, to use it to cast the Patronus charm. That was, it, I didn't, I was confused by that response because, I mean, yeah, it's true, you couldn't, but like, what is that, what is it about that being the, like the core of what Harry's saying is the misunderstanding. I think it's, it kind of ties back into what he was saying about what's poisoning Slytherin house. Like it's, um, it, the, well, he, when he had said like, we need to, like, I, I manipulated you into liking Hermione so that you guys could cast the Patronus charm. I think he's using it like that again here, but to, to like more directly answer, I think that he's saying, I never blamed you from like, or for your association to death eaters. Like that was never your fault. Mm-hmm. That was never your choice. This was just your upbringing. I was never going to be annoyed with you because of who your parents were. And, you know, if you, if you said stuff that, yes, I might have been sensitive about, it's you weren't doing it to attack me. You were doing it because that's just who you were. Yeah, I, guess I was puzzled by the, um, like, how did that turn out? You wouldn't be able to use that to cast the Patronus. I didn't, I didn't quite get how that followed from. I, I mean, I understood the point, like, like oh, no, that, I wasn't blaming you for that. Um, I didn't get how that thought then transitioned into like, I mean, and I also get like, Oh, you know, that kind of anger won't let you cast a Patronus. It just seemed like a strange jump. I don't know. I think, like I said, I think it's the jump in the, to the exact same place as when you used it before, about yeah. like I manipulated you so that Slytherins could cast a Patronus charm again. And I, yeah. I can't quite articulate what he's getting yeah. at there, but I think it's the same thing with both of these. Yeah. I did like, as you go, cause this is, uh, you can talk, Harry said, Draco, talk to me. I won't get angry. I like the, that way that they're kind of being, 
there's like a like that the friendship level is increasing here yeah yeah you get the sense that this is like them actually being really genuine with each other before they were playing games and thinking about how they're going to manipulate each other and who's going to come out on top and uh this is going to be my master plan and no like they're you know draco we're friends you can talk to me how are you feeling like that's that's a that's a real friend thing to say and then the whole Um, that was the joke from the beginning of the the hilarious joke of um that and it, it did seem kind of awkward to me that uh, Harry wants to basically they're both going to say, OK, we're just going to say my mom dying was sad and your mom dying was sad. And we'll just agree that it's sad. Um, and Draco won't say it because reasons. Um, and it, but it seemed just weird to me that like so the, the idea of like, OK, let's each, you know, concede some ground for the for the um, sake of compromise. Um, I like that, but that it just, it, it was, it was an awkward kind of like the, the way in which Draco was refusing to say it was strange. Um, it's interesting, right? Like Harry's not even asking them to say that yeah. it was wrong, which it was wrong for both of their mothers to die. Uh, but that, that's like even a more contentious thing. Like Draco would have to walk back even further from aligning with the Death Eaters to say that it was wrong. Uh, but for him to say that it's sad is still sort of a violation of, what he's been raised with right like no killing enemy combatants is the right thing to do yeah. and you know if the dark lord wanted to kill your mom uh well we were behind him in doing that we we supported the dark lord right yeah. um it so for him to say that it's sad you're right it's such a small step maybe that's why harry chose sad instead of wrong yeah. Uh, well yeah because uh, yeah, yeah sad is uh takes the judgment half of that out yeah. that's true and it, and it adds like an emotional yeah. part to it like wrong isn't emotional. Yeah. It's just a, a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, and then at the end of that, uh, that paragraph, he says, you know, can we just agree on that? Can we Draco? That seems more like a thought someone could use to cast the Patronus charm. Yeah. I like how he was like, again, trying to tie it back into a, like a power thing almost, but. And it's a power yeah. that he, you know, he, he taught Draco first when Draco, you know, yeah. was, had, had his Patronus in front of him and he could look at it and he, he, was he had this proof he's like i knew it i knew my dad loved me i knew that this was real and that um it there there was it it almost seems like sacrilegious to speak of using the patronus charm for a for a manipulation um but it, it's almost like that's what he did but yeah. like this is the kind of manipulation where i think everyone's on board yeah. right uh like yes you taught me that i can i can uh have proof with myself that uh well, not just to fight to mentors, but I have proof with myself that I can uh, instantiate uh, the the love and compassion I have from my family. Yeah. Like that, that's awesome. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, Draco. Like, he's still, he's yeah, he's still like well, he's not up. at this point. He's still not totally done with that idea, though. It's sort of yeah. Qualified. So his his yeah his his whole thing is like. Um, you know, look, and what you're, <laughs> I think he, he's struggling emotionally. So he, he's going back to his like Dumbledore's behind all this stuff. And he's like, and what you're not admitting is that Dumbledore told you you could take, you could avenge your parents' deaths by taking Lord Malfoy's <laughs> son from him. <laughs> and it's, it's funny only when you're not reading it in real time in the moment, you kind of feel for yeah. Draco, but like looking back on it, it's like, dude, you're, you're beating this dead yeah, horse. Or even that, like, it still Harry's sounds even, like, like, dude, no, like, that's not it. <laughs> Yeah, and Harry's not even that fond of yeah. Dumbledore right now, right? Like he's 
He's like, no, no, man, you're you're straight up wrong. And 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 then I think Draco or Harry responds to that in like a nice humanizing way. He says, like, no, that part's just wrong. I didn't know who Dumbledore was or who the Dark Lord was or who the Death Eaters were or how my parents died until right before I came to Hogwarts, the day you and I first met. And and then he's like, and Dumbledore doesn't even like science. <laughs> I like, but then he says, I didn't, I didn't know who the Malfoys were when I met you in the clothes shop, and then I liked you. Like, and I think, like in the yeah, yeah, there, was a, there was a point where like they weren't even sure if they could say that about each other. Yeah, and it it if anything, the cinch is that you know he wanted to be friends first, and then realized it well, the work it would take to get mm-hmm. there. And then Draco has the brilliant idea to verify the truth of truth of what Harry's saying with truth yes. potion, and. <laughs> you think this this would, um, this would happen like, an awful would, lot, I would imagine. Like, what do you mean? Like, like oh, oh, yeah, we'll prove. Well, let's get some veritaserum. Like that. Would, this would just be happening all night. like, like couples that don't trust each other. Like, I'll take it right now. I'm like, yeah. Oh man, I I think like having a relationship where you had to have a bottle know, of veritaserum in the house would yeah. suck, right? But uh, it is um, it's kind of funny because well, now that you you mentioned that, like, so Harry or Draco's thinking is like, yes, no, it's perfect. Um, it's a definitive experiment. I'll have to think of how to get some though. Um. It makes it, it does is kind of curious to me that like his dad wouldn't send him to school with a bottle of this shit. That's true. Like this this sounds Especially like the kind of thing that's kind of around. Right? I mean, it's like it's not people aren't supposed to just have that lying around, right? No, like but a, they're also not supposed to know torture hexes, right? So well, yeah. So uh, well, you know, I mean, it would you know, be, you know, contraband from daddy. That's true, uh, and maybe they have some at Malfoy Manor or something. But I figured they could just go ask Snape. But in any case, um, or Harry pulls the plug on that before he can even get it going. And this is again just one of their little dialogue lines that jumps out at me and he's like uh draco and uh he says don't say it draco said his voice firm <laughs> and calm if you say no then that's my experimental result right there draco okay. i'm an aquamens oh that is such a lie <laughs> yeah um, oh you fuck right off you're making that shit up so you can get out of this <laughs> i and as at least for me like we didn't know up until this point how we knew he had been getting trained, but we didn't necessarily know to what extent his training had taken, did we? I don't think we did, yeah. I don't think so. So we're like, oh, I guess so. Which I'm sure probably has lots of significance plot-wise for later. But. Well, I think it comes in levels. It says that, um, like... This is not a perfect... He, he's an occlumenter, but that, that, that's like saying you're a martial yeah. artist, right? And it's like, yes, I can fight. It doesn't mean I could beat up, you know, Bruce Lee. But it does mean that uh, apparently when you're past novice level occlumency you can beat veritaserum um so uh i guess it says mr bester said i was putting up a complete block and that i could probably beat veritaserum so once i guess you can put up a complete block you can beat veritaserum i guess so yeah and And then draco loses his shit again (laughs) right he's like why why are you always like this why do you have to mess everything up even when it's impossible it stops smiling smiling. this isn't funny funny. i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah and then like even drake has to like think through the idea that you know oh well yeah the fact that he told me that doesn't really work for the idea that this is all just a plot which i think is part of like what frustrates draco because like <laughs> the fact that harry's right yeah and this is one of those uh you know levels of deception moves like uh quarrel was telling harry about and you know like that doesn't come up a lot like the whole like playing one level mm-hmm. higher than you but it's one of the things that i always remembered from my first read of this book um like when he and uh snape are squaring off about like oh is that like the true cloak of invisibility and then harry has this thought about quarrel had explained about one level deceptions two level deceptions mm-hmm. and so on 
And he's like, oh. And then so he replies to Snape. He's like, oh, it could be. I trust you understand the implications if it is. And then like, all right, well, if he's modeling me as a level one, then my level two moved worked. But unless he, his level three. <laughs> and so like that level of recursion kind of craziness is just like, I've never seen anything else that does that. Maybe that's why it stands out so much to me. But, Princess Bride. Um, it's, it's the archetype. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like that's that's one thing, and the answer turned out to be that it was in both. Like that that's a little less satisfying than just like, all right, did my triple bluff work? <laughs> so like, because this could have happened where Harry, in fact, wasn't illegitimate and knew that he would fail the test if he was lying, and so he's like, oh, actually, or excuse me, I, I'm I'm actually not Clemens, so I'll be able to beat it if you try and test me with it. But isn't the fact that I told you that worthy of your trust? Now don't you believe me without me having to actually take the test? Like that could have been, you know, a a two or three three level mm-hmm. move, right? Um, instead, they settle on a different experimental test. So. Which is a lot uh, simpler also. It's like, okay, fine, show me. Right. Show me that this is what you're doing. Um, I mean, yeah. And, it, and it'll show the the emotional core of where Harry's coming from. It won't necessarily, like, it, it's not a, I don't know, truth serum Q&A session. But it shows that Harry's being genuine, yeah. which I think is what he really wanted. Yeah. So, so then Draco says, I have an experiment to solve this. Which is, it's almost like, it's like, well, fucking show me. That's what the experiment is. <laughs> you yeah, said right. you could cast a Patronus. Fucking show me. I thought it was funny. Like, so they go out to this like courtyard out at night, uh, just so we can get the silent night vibe again that I like. Um, but then uh, this had to be like for humor's sake. Yeah. That they both go out and then they cast Thermos on themselves. I, I mean, it's Thermos because they're cold, but it's the, the word is Thermos. It Chicken is. soup. It certainly sounds... I mean, it sounds about as creative as Regardium Leviosa. Um, yeah, right. I wonder if, let's see if I could make the, the couple of listeners who harp on my lack of knowledge of canon happy by just Googling and seeing if this is on. Um, aha, Thermos does not return any results on hplexicon.org. So it sounds like a made-up warming spell for this book, in which case Thermos. it fits perfectly with the naming convention of every other spell <laughs> in Harry Potter. <laughs> but... Yes, it. Uh, you know, thermo is in there. I, I'm sure it's Latin for warm. Well, yeah, no, or something, I mean that right? is where. Yeah, that's where the name thermos comes from, and thermometer, and yeah, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just funny. Yeah. Um, so then Harry gives this long kind of spiel, uh, which we can dive into if you want. But it's it, he's basically laying out about how. Uh, well, actually, there's, there's actually a little brief note in there that I like where he talks about how muggles never turn their fucking lights off so we've got light <laughs> yeah. pollution everywhere and we can't see the stars. And I'm like, you're goddamn God right. I live in Denver. I haven't seen a star in five years. I remember <laughs> I, when I grew up, I would go to a um, summer camp on Catalina Island off the coast of California. Um, and I remember like as a little consistent, it would have been like the early 80s because I'm old. Um, and I remember like being out there at night and you could like very clearly see the Milky Way. And it, it was one of those like very like you don't realize that it has gone away because it goes away so slowly. But and it wasn't like a few years ago. I um, uh, My friend had a cabin up in Wyoming and we uh, went out there. And so and you're like in Du Bois, Wyoming, you're like totally out in the middle of nowhere with no light pollution. And, it, and when we so we saw the Milky Way again that night and realized like how long it had been, like you almost forgotten what it looked like. Um, I know it's bummer. I can't faithfully recall seeing it in my life, and it sucks because I did, and I've forgotten. When I was, I think it must have been my last year of high school, we went out for like a Labor Day or Memorial Day mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, must have been, it doesn't matter, one of those warm weekend, three day holidays. And 
one of my buddies, um, he was actually a groomsman at a wedding. His grandpa bought like a Y2K fallout shelter in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it was, it was, it wasn't really much more than like this concrete cabin. And then he bought some acres of land around it and there was some cattle and stuff. And we spent the weekend out in this thing and it was awesome. And apparently when we were out running around at night, we, I'm told we stopped and enjoyed the Milky Way. Mm. And I don't yeah. remember that. And that really bums me out. Well, see, because, I, mean, I mean, especially because now that, you know, we live in flyover country. Um, we could just drive north a couple hours and we're in the middle of fucking nowhere. So you get yeah. halfway to Cheyenne yeah. and there's, there ain't nothing around. Yeah. We went to, um, and yeah, it does depend. And I, I, I keep telling myself I'll do that and somehow I'm not. So what the hell am I doing? I'll, got nothing going on i should just go out and do that one of these nights but um we went to uh my wife and i um we spent a weekend in i'm trying to remember the name of the town it's this tiny little like population 625 town in uh colorado called uh, westcliff and we got this little hotel room there and it was awesome and it was this just you know sweet little time and it was a little cloudy that night so we didn't get to the milky way but we did see really vibrant stars on the part of the sky that wasn't cloudy so that's pretty cool. Anyway, that's my rant about light pollution. Harry's right. We should turn our lights off, like, you know, once, I don't know, in it's a while. It right? would have to be, like, citywide, and that's the problem. You have to turn off all yeah. the traffic lights. You've got to get it all, or it doesn't work. Well, and there's the fact that real pollution also blocks uh, lights. That's true. So, yeah. Sad. Um, anyway, so then, then Harry has his, his long, uh, like his generalizable personhood theory kind of yeah. thesis. And I actually where... like it's it didn't have a lot of like super quotable parts, but I did I like the this it, it worked for me. Yeah. It worked for me too. Yeah, and it I it's I mean, it's not super quotable because it is yeah. long, but the the short the short version of it is like imagine beings out there who look nothing fucking like fucking aliens, you know, man. Fucking aliens, man. And uh you know, he's like we we'll, we won't recognize them by as people because of their skin color or the purity of their blood or whatever, um, or even what they're made of. They could be made of silicon. They could be made of, you know, crystals or whatever. Um, he says, but that won't stop us from being their friends and won't stop them from being friends with us. If we really want to be, we can communicate with our minds as, as people. And that's the, the distinction, I guess, you know, where Harry's saying this, this goes beyond, you know, wizards and muggles, even beyond humans. This goes, be, this is, this is all the way to sentience and personhood. Um, yeah, I really, yeah, I really, and it also, like, and then the cynical part of me was also in the back. I'm like, oh no, this, see, this is exactly the fuel we need in order to get like the purest form of racism. So we can all unite as humans to hate the people that aren't. <laughs> Well, I mean, in in a way, yes. Um, the, the, so Harry's taking the inverse. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? they, like it both work. That was like um, the little evil thought in the back of my head. It's like, oh, the, you know, that is inte- because that is true. This dark, darker side to it is also true. No, totally, it is. I think, and I mentioned something like that when we talked about uh, the robbers' cave experiment, like way back in the. Uh, yeah. like, I think it was before the first battle. Harry's bringing that up, and I think it was in one of Sam Harris's books or essays. He cites that. Yeah. Same experiment. And he says that the scary part about this is that barring an attack from outer space, there's no enemy against humanity that against which humanity as a whole can yeah. unite. The thought I had um, was like, uh, because it's totally plausible that we will uh, colonize Mars someday. And when humans do colonize Mars, they will very quickly within months become incapable of ever going back to Earth because of the physical changes, which then means like super fast a generation or two later, there will be Martians 
who will be like, you know, and then a couple hundred years after that, like genetically incompatible with Earthlings. And then poof, race war. And they're going to insist that Mars football is a lot better than Earth football because it's harder to throw a ball with, you know, less gravity with precision or something. Yeah. 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 And then it's just like immediately turns into like a visceral hatred of one another because you are now irrevocably different. (laughs) But if you put on your rose colored hairy glasses and you do what Hermione calls hairy bias, you can think, (laughs) no, by that time we'll have transcended all that bullshit and we'll leave it all, you know, in the dirt on Earth where it should, where, you know, it belongs. Um, it's kind of it's like they're both true like it that. still works like even that even that thought you're like oh but you know what the other thing is for you know still also true yeah it it'll yeah. it'll probably be both um so the and this is this is that emotional beat um that hits both generally and specifically <laughs> which i think lands really well he says your life or rather lost start a little earlier he says lily potter's life was precious and narcissa malfoy's life was precious even though it's too late for them now and it's sad where they died but there are other lives that are still alive to be fought for your life my life and hermione granger's life and all the lives of earth and all the lives beyond to be defended and protected and he cast the spell again i really like this that worked really well i like that yeah and there was light um what i like about this it was something that we we uh, skipped over he had draco look the other way um so he, he's not supposed to look directly at the patronus but he can see the light coming from it oh i didn't get that so i didn't pick that up on that so draco doesn't know that it was a, a human patronus uh, right yeah. um yeah so oh, that's a Harry much smaller wand, secret draco turned Right. Yeah. So he says, and Draco turned and looked away as he had promised, looked towards the stone floor and the wall in which this door was set for Draco had promised not to look and not to tell anyone of what Harry said, um, even though he didn't know why it all had to be kept yeah. secret. So he he doesn't see the Patronus, but he says there's no way that you could fake that the Patronus light. So he's, he's convinced. Yeah. Um, and he says that was the true form of the Patronus charm, something, something that lets you put all your strength into, into the Patronus without hindrance from within yourself. And before you ask, I didn't learn it from Dumbledore. He doesn't know the secret, and he couldn't cast it if he if he knew the secret. Um, he says, "For your sake, I undertook your test, but you must not speak of it, Draco." Again, that like that trust yeah. business, and yet this is like actual friend yeah. trust business, where I think you can trust him to keep it on the down low. So, especially because and, and then like I, the that was a test that built the trust in the first place. Like the fact that he did it and proved it to Draco was a thing that earned him trust. Yeah, because it, it was a definitive yeah. experimental result for him, and that's that's what he's going for, and it that puts it kind of frontal lobby, but um, in the more emotional sense, I really like this brings home again like the the same beat of why these patronuses are more beautiful than the ones in canon. So Draco, he says, "Will I?" Draco whispered, "Whispered Draco." I guess I'm reading it backwards. I, I ever tell anyone I'm a little dyslexic? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he says, "Will I be able to cast a patronus like that someday?" And like that, that could be both literally and metaphorically, right? Yeah. Like, can I have what you, what you have in you to make you, you know, put out that much that again, light is just the, the manifestation yeah. of it, but that much pure positive force. Oh um, yeah. See, and I hadn't picked up when I read that, be able to cast a Patronus like that someday, I interpreted that as like, Oh, would he be able to make a human Patronus? Yeah. I think that's that. That's also what he's asking. But, but he doesn't uh, know, but he doesn't know it. He yeah. doesn't know what it looks like. Yeah. He just means that yeah. crazy bright one. The one that I can tell is way more powerful yeah. than mine and is, again, not just about the power, but about the, the warmth of that, that fuels it. And Harry says, if you always keep seeking the truth and if you don't refuse the warm thoughts when, they, when you find them, then I'm sure you will. I think a person could get anywhere if they just kept going long enough, even to the stars. And 
Then they realized that they had set off like a nuclear bomb of light outside and they're like oh yeah someone might have seen that uh we should go back inside which it's done in this kind of warm yeah. you know way but it is kind of comical and it's like oh yeah that didn't really hide what they were doing um that lit up every window in the castle right? and they went outside to do so, it too which i think was was good for dramatic effect but maybe not the like most solid move could have done it behind yeah. behind sure a closed like door a ground level courtyard like wise right harriet said it would be easier under the stars but uh I, I don't know. Um, I think uh, I, I got the impression. I'm not sure if this was textual or not, where I got the impression that it was like an above ground level courtyard. So maybe it wasn't surrounded by like the yeah, dorm I think windows like, of everyone I, who lives there. I guess I pictured like a rooftop courtyard. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So um, then there's the last little thing here in the chapter. Well, not that little. Um, well, we don't have to skip straight to it. Uh, well, what do you think? So Harry gives his... Um, yeah, his very conditional promise. Yeah, this is just funny. like like this very it, it, like. It, it, I've got five, five conditions, conditions and it's especially like, are, the. Are you shitting me? Like this is the kind of stuff that actually totally yeah. does feel like a, you know like an internet chat room. Like okay, we all gotta pick this apart first. It, Condition kinda, four. Yeah, and it's it's almost like it's 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 like Harry is is setting himself up to. I mean, granted, they all make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're right. Like it almost seems like unless you release me I, from it of your own free will and not through a deception of me. <laughs> right I mean it's basically saying like yes it'll be, as long as he really was evil and you're being on the up and up and nothing weird happens yes like yeah it, it seems like I don't know it, it to me it's just kind of funny like I, again I'm not saying any of the conditions don't make sense they all do but that he has to lay mm-hmm. it out this explicitly I guess he wanted to make it perfectly clear to Draco that like look if I learn that there was a you know um, a condition here that made this different than the version that we have, then you can't make me still take Dumbledore mm-hmm. as my enemy. Like I think condition four was that if Narcissa got her own hands dirty and um, you know, uh, Dumbledore was taking revenge or something again, it's not great that he burned her alive, but that my, my thing is, is that she has to have actually kept her hands clean. Yeah. Cause if, if she didn't, then I have to reassess on whether or not she deserved to be killed. Oh, and then Draco actually does. Again, Draco so. says, all this really sounds like you're planning to weasel out of it. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it was, uh, he says, all right, I, yeah, I, I'm not, but well, and it's funny. Cause Harry is like self-aware of this and he's like, look, I'm planning to take a, as, as an enemy, whoever actually made this happen. And you know, I don't want this to go wrong the way it would like if this were a play. <laughs> it's funny as we're and, talking about. It, I realize like so he's being like super super overly specific about like it's almost like an like an insurance policy of all the things like it will apply unless the trailer is has more than five wheels. Um, but at being so super specific about the conditions in which he's willing to do it, but the thing he is promising is that Dumbledore will be his enemy. Like the fuck does that mean? Like. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point right he's not saying i promise i'll assassinate him at my next given opportunity yeah it's just he's um, my enemy i yeah that's that's actually something i didn't really give a lot of thought to because like why is that yeah. good enough for draco i guess we haven't seen we haven't seen harry have any enemies you know maybe snape but and we i guess we saw how did he take his vengeance out on snape well snape was knocked down a peg yeah. like all right cool is that gonna be good enough to satisfy the blood debt to house malfoy no um Maybe it's because Draco like, but you sees how Harry treats his like, friends. Oh, he is my enemy. Well, but why did you? Oh, we didn't say right. what that means. It's my enemy. Yeah, I, I have right guy. here a list my of enemy. my enemies, and I put him on it. See, right, <laughs> right there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, jokingly, maybe like Draco C is like, all right, well, if, if I'm how Drake, how Harry Potter treats his friends, I bet he treats his enemies like shit. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was nice. It was so he says, all right. Um, I, 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 so Draco says, I'm not happy with it, but OK, you pledge to take my mother's murderer as your enemy and I'll help you fix the problem with Slytherin House hating Muggleborns. And I'll say it was sad that Lily Potter died. <laughs> and I'll say it was sad that Lily Potter died. And yeah, again, it's 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 funny because it's a small concession, and yet it 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 lands well for like where it's coming from with Draco. Yeah. I think right, like because it is it is a small thing. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something so viscerally, like something that someone like can actually relate to without getting you know really hardcore. Like I honestly can't think of anything that wouldn't be really controversial to say that. It, keeps coming to mind just like trying to illustrate what a, like how hard this must be for Draco oh, to say this like something that would be hard so for someone I will to, let... to admit to yeah um I I will I'll deliberate on that and see if I feel like talking about it more later like I can generate examples it's not like mm-hmm. personal stuff it's more just like yeah this sounds like political suicide to give the first example that came to mind <laughs> so I'll ignore that and, and we'll just push past it and uh so um Draco says that he like he's he's noticing and well he doesn't say he's thinking that he he notices that the the gap between yeah. him and his father and like his path to his future has widened even more and then he wants to test to himself that he can still test that he can still cast the patronus and that all that light is still there in him and um, yeah and it was almost like in a way like a it's just sort of like him like verifying that he still has that and like you know getting in contact with his humanity but it was also in a way like almost kind of double like verifying the trust he just gave to Harry was founded, well-founded. I think that like, it's, there's no way to like trick yeah. the Patronus charm. Right. And so when, when, so when Draco would cast it, he knew that it would be impossible to like lie about how you cast yeah. it. Right. So that's why he was able to believe Harry's test. And that's why he, he's testing this for himself. Yeah. And it was somewhat so, in the way him's just sort of like reminding himself like this was worth it. Right. Like I just paid a huge price, but this is what I got for it. Even though that's not te- that's not like the literal transaction that just went through, but like as he's you know letting himself drift away from his father and towards Harry, like this is what he's getting in return. Yeah, he he's getting not just the yeah. ability to again the the, med- the metaphor that. and the, well not the metaphor but the 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 power to cast the Patronus, yeah. not like the strength of the charm itself, but he's getting he's getting that that light yeah. in himself. And then I love this line where it says, um, he so he. I'll just read the whole thing because it's great. So Draco's trying to put himself back in the state of mind to test to see if he can still do it. And then Draco closed his eyes, the better to remember father holding his small, cold hands and his, in his own warm strength. Don't be frightened, my son. I'm here. The wand swung up in a broad brandish to drive with a fear away, and Draco was surprised at the strength of it. And he remembered in that moment that father wasn't lost and never would be lost. He would always be there and strong in his own person, no matter what happened to Draco. And... Uh, that's really, yeah, I really. that, that yeah. I like this whole me. this whole ending scene with Draco. I really liked. Like we got, he's very much more humanized um, in a really like convincing way. Yeah, I like that yeah. a lot. And it and it's um, it's a nice, you know. So like he talked earlier about like the gap widening, yeah. and it's like maybe, but there will never not be this bridge. Yeah. And and also, right? but like the gap widening, but that he's like aware of it and like. Sc- scared about it but also okay with it like it's not like it's not like it's yeah. been you know that it snuck up on him or that it that he was deceived into it and he's just like 
nervous about the decision he's made. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, then we get a line break to, to indicate to us that, you know, there's a scene change and that, you know, a moment has passed. Um, oh, I guess first Harry says, hey, that reminds me, can we test my hypothesis for how to use Patronus to send messages? And Draco, is it going to surprise me? I any more surprises today. Which is like, all right, way to invoke the laws of dramatic <laughs> irony, because guess what? Guess n- now you're going to get surprised. Um, so I like, that, like this is a good way. Like I, this is changing the tone for the, like this is like the tone was like super heavy and meaningful. And this is like sort of like backing the pressure off as we end the chapter here. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's almost palpable, yeah. right? Like, all right, cool. So we, we've had this heavy stuff and let's leave this on a lighter, a bit of a lighter note. And, um, it like that, that line break almost, yeah. you can feel it hitting yeah. the brakes. Right. Um, and I don't actually think there was a canon explanation for how you use Patronus to share messages. I think you just did. And that was it. Yeah. Um, I think it was just sort of a, like this. Yeah. It's just, Oh, well you can send it there and it will say a thing for you. I guess the one I, the one I think about is yeah. when the, the party at the Weasley's house where the, the one guy shows up. He's yeah. Like, yeah. Kingsley's like, show. Yeah. Exactly. I think, um, in this anyway, it's set up to be more something that like Dumbledore and his inner circle could do. Um, it's, and I guess maybe it was never not that way in canon. Yeah. We just never got that explicit. Um, anyway, I like Harry's hypothesis and it turns out to be, be the case that, you know, the, the, the trick is to spread, you want to spread the good news to the recipient so they know the truth of whatever happy thought you'd used to cast the Patronus charm. And, eh, I thought it was know, fun, like, turn uh, of, I wasn't sure guess. like if the, the phrasing was, always, spread the good news made it sound like, you know, Jesus. Have you heard, <laughs> heard the good word, word of my Patronus? Yes. <laughs> right. Um, so then I'm sure that Beware the Green Monkey, it says, is from a sign, or that was a sign from a play Draco had once seen. I'm 100% sure that's probably yeah, something that I haven't seen. Oh, I did. I had looked at uh, the, somebody... the weird word that Harry used to turn off the light in the beginning. Instead of saying Knox, he had Dulac as apparently a reference to super obscure something. Or it's a tiny little tiny village in the north of Iran. It's probably that that he's thinking of. It's like population (laughs) 60-something, I think, when I Googled it. Jeez. Um, That makes it officially the smallest town I've ever heard of. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, beware the green monkeys. Someone will know where that's from. And uh, the... The snake slithers across, talks to Harry, and we don't quite get this. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess we don't. What did you get when Harry responds to it, like, immediately? So um, he hears it say to Draco, or he hears it say to Harry, beware the green monkey. And then you see Harry reply to it. Did you pick up immediately that it was? Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, I I mean, yes, although maybe because I think it was so, like, visible on the same page. You could see... So I'm not, I don't know, that may have been the giveaway because I mean, there's so little, there's what, literally, yeah. Yeah, there's not really time to stop yeah. and think about it. Know. If this was the kind of thing where like you had to wait five minutes, yeah. you, there's no way you wouldn't get it. But it's just like but I, yeah, scroll yeah. for another I want to say seconds. like it was even yeah. true. Well, and I think also like as the, you're like, oh, it's a snake going up to Harry. Although, yeah, I guess, well, so I, that must be like a super planted idea already that, so we had no idea if in some weird universe you're reading this and not, and had never read the original, we didn't have any idea of, of, do we even know what a parcel mouth is theoretically? Like, no. So, yeah. But I mean, um, that's in the back of everybody's head. Yeah. So we all, we all basically know. And if not, then it's, it's explained in this chapter. Uh, there is a callback, um, but I think it's mentioned yeah. later. So and I think again, like, um, yeah, we'll just get to that one later. Would we even technically know what the air of Slytherin even means? 
I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, that's the thing with like it being fan fiction. It's just like there's a there's a level zero amount of common knowledge that's just assumed. Yeah, you get to cross right. some inferential distance without having to build Good all your phrase. stuff. Good phrase. Inferential distance? Thank nice. you. I stole it from Elias really? Zietkowski. Nice. Yeah. Although, I don't think he... He definitely didn't coin it, but we actually... So I do this other super nerdy podcast called The mm. Bayesian Conspiracy. No relation to the name of Harry's little consort here with Draco. None. Um, and Yeah, none whatsoever. And uh, we, co- we we typically... Uh, most episodes, we'll talk about a couple of posts from lessrong.com. And last night, we talked about the one called... Be- or, uh, I forget the word infer- the word uh it's like be be cautious of assuming short inferential mm-hmm. distances. And the real short version of what that post is about is that when you think you're explaining something to somebody, you're almost certainly not explaining enough if they don't have enough background knowledge, which they almost certainly mm-hmm. don't. And the analogy that uh Jess, one of the hosts, and I came up with um well, they came up with it first and then I I I'd had I had had the same analogy before. Point is is that like the difference between like a good teacher and a bad teacher is they remember what it was like to not know the subject. Mm. Like do you, yeah. I'm sure you remember in college, like professors would get up there and they'd start lecturing because they've been teaching this for 30 years. And they're like, you guys are all fucking idiots for not getting this. It's, it's already been a week. How do you not have it memorized? And I'm like, cause I haven't been doing it for 20 years, man, you have. And so those ones don't understand what a, a you know, how long the inferential distance is between zero and wherever they and want they go it on to, to write man pages. The good teachers do. They go on, they go on man what? pages. Man. man pages oh right yes <laughs> god um i it's funny because i i had instructors at my boot camp that i went to some that were really good at that some that oscillated and some that were uh modest at it none of them really sucked at that but some were like oh yeah you must have you know not been paying attention i'm like no man you said <laughs> it but you talked for 40 hours this week and i only remember 38 of them yeah. like anyway um so harry hisses at the snake and it goes back Oh, this is actually interesting. I don't think this means anything, but it's the snake comes back to Draco and says, Harry says the message is received and acknowledged, which means that apparently the Patronus can translate uh-huh. from tran- from partial tongue to English. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, huh. Well, yeah, because isn't like the, like the, the, the shackable version of this is that the Patronus just shows up but is speaking in his voice. So I think that's like, so actually yes. the, the weird part is that the snake was speaking like a snake to Harry. I think the snake probably smoke, spoke as a person to Harry, and he just replied to it. Like oh yeah, one I guess would we didn't talk hear. to a snake. If one oh yeah, because almost described yeah. that way. I think that it spoke. It spoke in Draco's voice to Harry. Yeah, and he says he recognized it, and as how he himself uh, probably mm-hmm. sounded to other people, which you and I are both now fully aware of how we sound to other people. I know it's creepy. It is creepy. You get used to it. Um, then we get a line break, and then an aftermath section, and it's just like three. It's I don't know five second mm-hmm. read. Aftermath. Harry stared at Draco. You mean magical <laughs> snakes, right? Uh, well, I guess, yeah. So, sorry, I, I skipped over. I'm doing this out of order. Um, Harry says, huh, talking to Patronuses feels odd. And then there's four ellipses line yeah. breaks. And then, why are you looking <laughs> at me? Said said the heir of Slytherin. I like that. And then mm-hmm. we get the aftermath. And then it's clearly like between the line break, Harry or Draco had explained like what parcel mouths were and what that meant. And Harry is just kind of bewildered. And he's like, you mean magic snakes, right? <laughs> and Draco's like, no, no I, I, I think all of them. You're a parsimath. You can talk to snakes. That's that's snakes everywhere. You can understand snakes when they talk, and they can understand you. And you, you, you know, you can't possibly believe you're Ravenclaw. You're the heir of Slytherin. And then we get five ellipses, <laughs> which I'm now getting is a probably intentional move to go from three to four uh, to five that we've seen in this one chapter. And the Harry's big explosion. Is, is, oh, snakes are hairy. <laughs> 
<laughs> close to that. It is Wait, very, I mean, very hairy. Does that mean our lizard sentient too? Then, in Harry's defense, this is kind of an amor- a kind of an amor- kind of an e- a God. I keep kind of an amorphous. Last last try. Kind of a moral emergency, uh. right? If there, if if more animals on Earth are sentient than just us, and we've been treating them like them, uh, like okay. like animals, uh, we've been doing something. Our, our our treatment of you know like cows and chickens and pigs now is Saint Patrick is very a generously morally questionable. If we knew that they had complex language and could talk with us, if we just knew how to talk to them, this would be that would be a whole other level of monstrosity on top of this, the, right? The, it was the Irish genocide of snakes. At least we don't factory farm snakes. <laughs> Harry can feel good about that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, That's it. that is. That's chapter 47. Did you I have did. a good time? I like this one. Yeah. Me too. I also enjoyed talking yeah. about it. That's the, for me, the most fun part about doing this podcast is I am loving, I've never gone through it this slow and I've never had like long conversations about chapter by chapter. I think I mentioned this before, but I like, I, I don't know. I look forward to recording these. I look forward to, uh, to these conversations. It's weird so, how like, cause um, what, this is, I think actually the Kindle said this was a, like a 30 minute read. And then we've just been talking for about two and a half hours ish. Um, yeah. Four to one. Yeah. We can literally yeah, read you know, out we can loud dive to each other. Topics here and there, but yeah, but I will, uh, I think we can call it here. But before that, I got to point out that we are going to be covering chapters 48, 49 and 50 next time. I'm not going to do it. I think they're short. No. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't do a word count on these, <laughs> but they, they are short ish chapters. Yeah. So, Actually, like I said, like it really, it most doesn't, importantly, it's not the length the, of the reading. It's how much there's to talk about. It's like how dense it is. Yeah. And I will be 100% honest with you. I didn't skim them at all for memory refreshing on how much there is to talk about there. But the main thing is that chapter 51 starts off um, like ones that are going to be really hard to break up as far as like, all right, how many of these do we want to cover? So I won't make us read like 12 chapters, (laughs) but uh, they they those break up a lot less easily than these threes. I don't want to like have to cover 50 and then get into the ones after 50. So. All right. Yeah, basically you're in for some shit, man. Nice. It's coming up. And uh, yeah, that's all we've got for you this week on We Want More, unless you have anything else to add. Brian. I have nothing. <laughs> Great. Me either. I am spent. Don't forget to come back next week for chapters 48, 49, and 50. Thanks for joining us. Bye, buddy.